If you would like our free newsletters on various religious topics, just send us an email at cdebater at aol.com and free newsletters will be sent to you by mail. Just provide your postal address in your email. The following are samples of some of the newsletters we have available. Does God Believe in Atheists? Part 1 Seventh-day Adventism True or False The Agony of Deceit The Origins of Muhammad's Religion Spiritual Warfare Are Psychic Mediums Communicating with Ghosts or Demonic Spirits? Testimony to the Eternal Godhead, the Trinity. From Tradition to Truth, a Priest's Story. An Evaluation of the Oneness Pentecostal Movement. Mormonism, Counterfeit Christianity. Turn or Burn. Jehovah's Witnesses, Deceived Deceivers. Links to these newsletters can also be found at our website www.biblequery.org Once on the home page, simply click on the menu icon at the upper left-hand corner. Then click on the Newsletters button. Feel free to print them out. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Here's the definition of apostasy from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Hebrew, mesubah. Greek, peripipto. Epistemi, apostasia. Defection from faith. An act of unpardonable rebellion against God and His truth. The sin of apostasy results in the abandonment of Christian doctrine and conduct. With respect to the covenant relationship established through prior profession of faith, passive profession in the case of baptized infants, apostates place themselves under the curse and wrath of God as covenant breakers, having entered into a state of final and irrevocable condemnation. Those who apostatize are thus numbered among the reprobate. Since the resurrection of Christ, there is no distinction between blasphemy against Christ and blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. CF Matthew 12:31-32, Hebrews 6:4-6, and chapter 10, 26-29, and then 1 John 5:16-17. GC Burkhauer comments we must underscore the deep seriousness of the biblical warning against apostasy after enlightenment 
and after the knowledge of the truth. This is the apostasy which reviles the spirit of grace and despises the Son of God and crucifies the man of sorrows anew. Burkauer is correct to refute the idea that this sin against the Holy Spirit is a mysterium iniquitatis, a mystery of sin, a sin difficult, if at all possible, to define precisely in the Bible. Apostatizing from God's redemptive covenant is an act of unpardonable transgression and rebellion. All other sins are forgiven on true repentance and faith. Those who fall out of fellowship with the saints are restored to full communion through confession of sin and reaffirmation of faith in Jesus Christ. Excommunication as a final step in the process of ecclesiastical discipline is undertaken in the hope of restoring the wayward sinner who has fallen into grievous sin. 1 Corinthians 5, 1-5 through 5. Israel of old repeatedly broke covenant with God. By impugning the name and works of Yahweh, Israel despised her calling and proved to be a stubborn and disobedient nation. Pentateuchal law identifies covenantal faithlessness as apostasy. C. E.g. the curses of the covenant pronounced on Mount Ebal by Israelites in Deuteronomy 27 9 to 26. With respect to temporal blessing in the land of promise, restoration of Israel to divine favor after covenant breaking was always a consequence of divine grace and mercy, not because of meritorious works on Israel's part. In biblical prophecy, apostasy is an eschatological sign of the impending day of the Lord a precursor of the final day of judgment. Ancient Israel's experience of divine wrath and displeasure served as typological foreshadowing of that latter day. The increase in apostasy in these last days of the church's wilderness experience is associated with the appearance of the man of lawlessness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1-3. Now, I want to segue into this video that we did called Only Fake Christians Lose Their Salvation Because They Never Had It to Begin With. And that ties directly into 1 John 2.19. What does it say in Hebrews 6.4? It says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word, and go on to verse 5, and have tasted the good word of God and the power of the world to come, go on to verse 6, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh and have put him to an open shame. Well, how obvious can it get? If somebody falls away from the faith and crucifies the Lord of glory afresh, and puts Christ to an open shame, in this case, falling away or losing their salvation. It says right here in verse 4, it is impossible to renew them in the faith. So there's no way you can be saved and lost, saved and lost. If you lose it, it's impossible to get it back again. So this second position of people saying you can be saved, lost, or whatever, depending on how many works you do, 
So anyway, when you get these people that say you can lose your salvation based on the second position I'm outlining here, just keep in mind one of their own proof texts to say you can lose your salvation actually refutes one of their positions. Of course, we already know that this passage isn't really talking about uh, real believers. It's talking about unbelievers. But you give them their premise that you can lose your salvation. And Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6 proves that. Well, if you grant them their premise here, then verse 4 through 6 say it's impossible to renew these people back to faith in Christ. Once they've blown it and lost their salvation, they can never get it back. They can go to a hundred altar calls and it won't make any difference. This, this passage says it's impossible to renew them. And to say that you can be lost one day and be saved the next and lost again, it's impossible, the scripture says. So here, the very passage these lose your salvation people would use refutes one of their positions in undeniable terminology. One last thing I'd like to say about Hebrews 6 verses four through six, which is used by people who say you can lose your salvation is their whole argument is totally destroyed anyway, based on Hebrews chapter six. Because if you simply look down to verse nine, what does it say? In verse nine, it says, but beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Well, voila, there you have it. Verse 9 shows the difference between these people mentioned in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, who are apostates and lost people, and true Christians who are separated and differentiated from these people in verse 9. Verse 9 saying, but beloved, talking to true Christians, not false Christians or false professors, as we have earlier in this chapter. Since this section of the video is talking about apostasy, I just wanted to let our viewers see some more famous apostates to give them an idea what apostates are. First of all is Pope Francis of the Roman Catholic Church. The whole Roman Catholic religion is an apostate religion. It's replaced the Word of God mainly with their unbiblical traditions. And to get more into this, see our video called Almost 50% of Roman Catholic Priests are Homosexuals, According to Roman Catholic Sources Themselves. And besides that, check out our playlist on YouTube called Dealing with Roman Catholicism, Idolatry, and the Virgin Mary, which has almost 200 videos. At the time of this recording, we're at 195 but we're closing in on the Magic 200 videos against Roman Catholicism and why it's apostate and why it's unbiblical. And hopefully we'll be there pretty soon. Next, another famous apostate is a former Christian called Bart D. Ehrman. And this information here is from the Free Encyclopedia of Wikipedia. And you can see there he graduated from Moody Bible Institute, Wheaton College, and so forth. Basically, he's written a lot of books and has changed his ways. He's no longer a Christian. And if you look down at the bottom of this page, at the second paragraph, it says there, he remained a liberal Christian for 15 years, but later became an agnostic atheist after struggling with the philosophical problems 
of evil and suffering. So here's another apostate. Okay, apostate number three is Joshua Harris, who used to be a pastor. This information is coming again from Wikipedia. And uh, we see here in the first paragraph under uh, his name, Joshua Eugene Harris is an American author and former pastor. Harris's book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, 1997, in which he laid out his ideas concerning a biblically-based Christian approach to dating and relationships, helped shape purity culture for many Christian millennials. And it talks about his pastorate and things of that nature. However, Harris disavowed I Kissed Dating Goodbye and discontinued its publication. In the following year, Harris announced that he was separating from his wife. This is a quote from him. Quote, undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus, end quote, and stated he was not a Christian. Of course, now he attends gay rallies and things of that nature. Apostate number four in this list is someone called Hank Hanegraaff. And we have a video on him, which you should find most fascinating. Hank Hanegraaff, Walter Martin's Greedy Judas, the fake Bible Answer Man. If you check that video, you'll see that it pretty much lays out the facts, why he has apostatized from the faith, as well as joining the Eastern Orthodox Church, which is very similar to the apostate Roman Catholic Church. So there's a, just a list of four apostates. Now, there could be multitudes more, but I mentioned these guys just to show that Francis Chan is joining their team. As this video presentation on him continues, you'll find out many reasons why. Greetings and welcome once again to our program. I'm Larry Wessels, Director of Christian Answers of Austin, Texas, Christian Debater. And I want to thank you for joining us today for our Christian Answers Presents program. Now, I have with me in studio one of my favorite guests of all time, almost going back 30 years, Rob Zins. Rob, great to have you here, brother. Thank you. Good to be here with yes, you again. I always love it when you're here. So uh, anyway, we're going to do another show now. It isn't exactly what I was planning originally when we got here, but we're running, looking at the clock, we're running rapidly out of studio time. It's mm. so I said, well, we can't do what I really wanted to do, which is going to be a long video. Uh, we can do something quick and short. So that's what we're going to do here. I did some research on this particular topic uh, to go with the other material, but since there's no time to get into all that, we'll just save it for another video session. Uh, but we can do a little bit here. Well, I've still got you here in studio, and we're going to cover a particular topic. But before I mention that topic, I'd like you to just briefly mention to new viewers that we get, and we get them all the time, uh, something about yourself, your background, so forth. Thank you, Larry. It's good to be here again with you. For those of you who don't uh, have a video that I have done near or handy, Larry has honored me with a number of video exposures in which we try to set forth the Bible and the truth of the Bible as opposed to uh, any number of cults or any number of non-Christian religions. One of the things that I have done in my life over the last, oh, probably 30 years is uh, explore and investigate and write and give conference and debate 
those who are involved in the Roman Catholic religion. I am a former Roman Catholic. I was raised in the Roman Catholic religion. And when the Lord saved me out of that religion, it wasn't exactly that I came out of the Roman Catholic religion as a staunch supporter of Roman Catholicism or even a faithful attender to the Mass. It was more or less that I was agnostic. I had left the Roman Catholic religion after high school and didn't pick it up even in college. So, But it was always the fallback position. Anytime somebody would talk to me about religion, I would say, oh, I'm a Roman Catholic, and that sort of settled the question for me. But the hounds of heaven were set loose, and the Lord had other ideas, and there came a point in time where I was confronted with the truth of his word, and by his grace and mercy, my heart was open to the truth of the scriptures and the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And my burden was initially for my family. All of them had been involved in the Roman Catholic religion one way or another, and extended family and even some friends. So I wanted to share the Bible truth with them. And initially, I felt I could actually show them the value of the Roman Catholic religion by showing them where it was found in Scripture. But much to my dismay, I could not find even one of the doctrines of the Roman Catholic religion. When I say doctrines, I mean the uh, sacramental system and uh, various other doctrines and dogmas of the Roman Catholic religion, such as Marian worship or the uh, place of the Pope in Rome, and such as the... Uh, entire uh, view of history that Roman Catholics uh, share insofar as their religion is concerned. Just couldn't find it in scripture, so I ended up writing a letter to each member of my family and explained them the gospel from the Bible the best I could as a new believer and uh, bypassed the Roman Catholic religion. But it always bothered me that I was raised in a religion that maintained it was, in fact, a Christian religion, but I had no attachment to it from the scripture, and I couldn't attach the Bible to it. So uh, after graduating from seminary, I spent some time in the pastoral ministry, but what ultimately seminary? I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, yes. graduated with a Master of Theology major in Historical Theology. I wrote my thesis on justification, and in writing that thesis, I came face to face with the issues of the great Protestant Reformation. Ultimately, I was moved to get involved in a witness to Roman Catholics, writing about the religion of Rome, and ultimately I was invited to debate a Roman Catholic scholar on campus, University of Toledo in Ohio, and we debated the issue of justification, how exactly does God justify the ungodly, and that was sort of the beginning of my work of uh, having an apologetics ministry to the Roman Catholic religion. And since that time, I've written two books on the subject and debated Roman Catholic scholars from one end of the country to the other, even overseas in a number of places. So I, my burden is the truth of God's word. And I believe the Bible is God's only word, and I believe the only gospel that God gave to mankind is safely found in the Bible, and I found that Rome has many other sources of authority, many other ideas about their gospel, and they just don't fit. So ultimately, I had to get on board with the idea that Roman Catholics are involved in a religion, 
and they are not involved with scripture. So over the years, I've spent a great deal of time, both in debating and writing and conferencing, trying to explain the difference between the Roman Catholic religion and their principles of conduct and their their uh, dogma and their belief system and contrast that which uh, is found in scripture. And sometimes that uh, gets into heated discussions. I remember I had a debate in New Hampshire once and uh, it was in a monastery in New Hampshire and a number of people from my home church came over. We were pastoring a church in Vermont at the time and uh, maybe 10, 15 of us went over there and the whole house was filled with Roman Catholic priests and Roman Catholic nuns and they had brought in a speaker from New York City and the first thing he said when he stood up was, ladies and gentlemen, today we have a bona fide heretic and he's sitting right next to me to my right. He claims to be a Bible man, but in reality he's a heretic and I intend to prove that. And everybody nodded and everybody thought that was just a, a, a grand opening statement. So I said to myself, there's no point in trying to get on the good side of this guy. Let's just quote scripture. And that's what I did for three hours. And afterwards, I can assure you, Larry, I can assure you if this had been the 16th century, Mm-hmm. or the 17th century burned Europe, at the stake I would have been hung from the rafters right there they were convinced I was a total 100% heretic and most Roman Catholics who are serious with their religion would probably agree with them but I found over the years that there are many Roman Catholics who don't have a clue about their own religion what you truly are supposed to believe supposed to be doing what the Vatican really teaches and uh, they certainly don't have a clue about the Bible so with uh, over two billion Roman Catholics worldwide, it's a rich field for evangelism, and it's also a worthwhile, I think, effort to try to protect the gospel from the Roman Catholic religion as well as from the ecumaniacs, I call them, all those who want to see one world religion based upon unity, and if you can talk, chew gum, and say, Jesus, you're a Christian, it doesn't matter, and this kind of ecumenism is based on uh, nothing but false hope, false ideas. Our unity is based upon the truth of God's word, right. and all Christians know that, right. not upon some sort of false unity with the uh, ecumenia crowd. So I'm glad to be here. Yes, to yeah, about thanks for that. What do we got going interesting, today? Interesting uh, uh, opening, because you mentioned uh, about that debate with this room full of Roman Catholic priests and and nuns, I'd never heard that story before. So I'm sitting here knowing you for almost 30 years of doing this stuff, and I hadn't heard that one. I'm going, oh, that's yeah. kind of cool, you know. It was a wild <laughs> ride in New Hampshire. That's right. I heard that. Well, we're going to talk about uh, one of these ecumaniacs, as you mentioned. You know, we don't have a whole lot of time, so we're going to keep this brief. I was originally going to put this material we're going to go over briefly in one of our series shows. Now, we've already done six videos in our series on the blasphemous Pentecostal and charismatic mayhem mm-hmm. situation mm-hmm. series. We've already done part one, two, three, four, five. In fact, as I mentioned this, where the viewers at home can see, you know, the screenshots of each of those videos on viewer at home. And, uh, so we're, I was thinking about doing number seven today, but there's no time for that. I've got too much material, so we'll save it for another day. Okay. But I did put this kind of material together to add with that. And it covers this guy named uh, Francis Chan. And the people at home are seeing a picture of him. 
with another famous... Now, this guy's a real heretic, unlike you in that debate. <laughs> uh, Benny Hinn. Now, we've done... A lot, I've done a lot of videos with these dudes, uh, like Benny Hinn. Now, never have I even talked about Francis Chan before. The people at home are looking at pictures of Francis Chan at different places. In fact, here's one picture of Francis Chan with uh, Mike Bickle. And now in episode six, we covered the new apostolic reformation prophets. Who You know, for a fee, an amount of money, you can become a prophet or you can become an apostle. You know, and depending on where you live in, that is how much you have to pay mm. so you can have those titles. And you had some really fascinating things to say about that in episode number six. Well, basically, it comes down to the fact that these guys have a different God. Yeah, it is a different it, God. It's not the same God as the Bible. Right. So whatever it is they're worshiping, it's definitely not the biblical God. Yeah, I mean, when, you, when you frame God in your mind, you either see him as a weak, impotent uh want to be king of the universe but can't accomplish his will because big bad man keeps getting in the way and God is like sworn that he will not interfere with big bad man because big bad man has to have his way. Otherwise, there, there can be no possibility of anything being fair. This is the way the Arminians and the Pelagians uh, treat it. But the scripture will have none of it. Scripture mm -hmm. says God has mercy. He has his elect. He does what he wants with his universe. And you have nothing to say. Mm -hmm. We are to shut up and worship God. Amen. And we can't know him mm -hmm. intimately or ultimately. We cannot know God. It's impossible. He is God and we are human. We are the creation. He is the creator. There's a vast gap that will eternally separate us from God. Well, when you say you can't know God, now we can know God through his spirit in that sense. In but, that sense. But in the sense you're talking about, about not knowing God, you're talking about every little... We'd have to be infinite ourselves. We'd have to share his incommunicable attributes. We'd That's have right. to be omniscient. We'd have to be omnipresent. We'd have to be omnipotent. To we understand him like to you're talking about. To understand him, yes. Right. We can't possibly, possibly well, know the psalmist, God as the God The psalmist knows even God. said what you said. These are beyond my... You know, mm. you're, you're, they're too wonderful for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even, even the psalmist said that. Yeah, I mean, Paul says we have the mind of Christ, and that's very true, in the sense that we are, we are directed and driven by the Spirit of God inside of us. He's made Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And we do have the mind of Christ in the sense of knowing right from wrong and knowing God's prescriptive will for us here on earth. He has, he has taught us how we are to live. He has explained to us who we are, who he is. But get this, the same author who says we have the mind of Christ writes in Romans chapter 11, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Okay. Before that, the Apostle Paul says these words, The depths, the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, and unfathomable his ways. Mm -hmm. He needs my power. <laughs> it's sort of, sort of like when God's talking to Job. Yeah. <laughs> Where were you when I set, set the Pleiades and all, you know, yeah. all these things? When I, hung, when I hung the morning star. Yeah. Okay, so the modern apostle is saying, God ran out of power. 
Then we got to build them up again. <laughs> it's blasphemy. It exactly. is blasphemy. Exactly. In a different God, yeah. in a different gospel, in a different Jesus, in a different right. spirit. Yeah. It's, it's all those things. John MacArthur's book, Strange Fire, called uh, The Danger of Offending the Holy Spirit with Counterfeit Worship. It's a, it's a great book. You may not agree with everything in it, but overall it's a well-documented book. It is. Uh, and you'll, you'll reap great spiritual benefit uh, in this modern crazy age we find ourselves yeah. with these 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 uh, antichrist uh, apostles and prophets that claim to be of Christ when really they're not but uh what's he brings up an interesting point here on uh page 87 and 88 you can see it there on your screen i want to bring this in and i'm going to ask rob a very pertinent question in relationship to what he just said about angels bowling mm-hmm. and all that stuff rather than page 88 or 89 just to lead into this as you as the viewers are looking at this page from John MacArthur's book, uh, see down near the bottom of the page, it says in the year 2000, Wagner, this is C. Peter Wagner, began to lead the newly formed International Coalition of Apostles as the presiding apostle, a position he held until 2009 when his title changed to presiding apostle emeritus. According to Pentecostal historian Vincent Sinan, when the coalition started, quote, new apostles could join and pay $69 a month as membership fees. Sinan himself was invited by Wagner to join, but later declined. As Sinan explains, quote, I didn't consider myself to be an apostle, and I wrote him that, at $69 a month, I could not afford to be an apostle. Membership rates at the end of 2012 varied slightly depending on apostles' nation of residency. The base fee was $350 for international apostles. The fee for apostles living in North America began at $450 per year or $650 for married apostles meaning apparently a husband and wife team who both considered themselves apostles. Native Americans, First Nation apostles, could join for the same fee as an international apostle. But basically, the bottom line here is that, uh, you know, he had a $69 an apostle, as you can see at the top of the screen, Base fee three fifty for international, so forth four fifty if you're North American, and so forth. If you're a Native American Indian, you get the international rate. And brother Rob, you had just mentioned earlier about the angel. You know, if you were an apostle, like these other guys, uh, you would have it as the angels, not a not God with his rumbling stomach because right. he's hungry. Absolutely. But now, see, now here's your chance, because. If you want to be an apostle like these other guys, but you live in North America, I think you're from North Carolina, right? you would have to pay $450 to be an apostle. So the question is, will you pay that $450 so you can say that it's really the angels bowling instead of God's stomach? Well, now that's an interesting proposition. I'd have to read the fine print of the contract. To ah, find out that's a good exactly point. Exactly. Well, that's a mistake a lot of people forget. What you know, kind maybe. of prophet I can be. And I want to know how many people are expected to follow me because, after all, I've got to recoup the expenditure 
some place. And the best place to recoup it would be the benefit that I give to the folks who would follow me as a prophet. Mm -hmm. So if they can guarantee that I can get this back in contributions mm -hmm. for all the good work I'm going to do as a prophet, then I think it would be a good investment. Okay. In fact, it would be pretty cheap. I think fact, I could double in my In fact, that's, that's actually not an, a prophet. It's Come to think of it, it's an apostle. A, an apostle. So you're even better than a prophet. It's cheap. I'll buy it. That, I'm ready. That way you can start adding to that book that's sitting on your lap. <laughs> I can have a following, and followers need to be blessed by God. And what's the that's best right. way? Have an apostle create scripture. And to give your apostle the money. That's right. That way that they're really paying a $450 membership fee rather than yeah. you. Are you telling me that these people who gave money to the apostle Paul weren't blessed? If I'm an apostle, they're going to get blessed when they give their money to me. I so see. I think it's cheap. Now, I, I think of Acts chapter 8 when we're having this discussion. I'm thinking of another guy that wanted to do the same thing. I'm thinking of Simon Magus in mm. Acts chapter 8. Yeah. He's seeing what the apostles are doing. They're laying their hands, the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, people being healed, all this stuff. And he's saying, man, I want some of that too. Right. And so he goes up to Peter. Remember that? Yeah. Say, hey. You know, how much money can I give you to get this power also? Mm -hmm. Acts chapter 8. Uh, now, do you remember what Peter said to him when he tried to give Peter money to become, have the power like an apostle? Didn't he say you're a little bit before your time? That's coming down, <laughs> and I don't want to be pushed. <laughs> I, I don't think he said that. <laughs> So, <laughs> You're a little bit ahead of things, Simon. It's coming, let's, but don't push. Let's see what the Bible has to say about this idea of selling certificates of apostleship and the presumably power that goes with it. In Acts chapter 8, we have an account of the uh, true apostles down in Samaria preaching the word of God. And they were laying hands on those who had received the word of God that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And we read in verse 17, they began laying their hands on them. They were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord if possible. The intention of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. Well, it doesn't take much to take this passage and apply it to what's going on when an organization sets up a certificate of apostleship and has the nerve to try to sell the gift of God to others for money. This is precisely what Simon wanted to buy. He wanted to buy the gift of God for money and Peter Wagner and his ilk have set up an organization whereby they're going to sell the gift of God for money. And I say the same thing applies to them. 
Repent of this wickedness of yours. Pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bondage of iniquity. It's primarily the bondage of iniquity. Your motives cannot be for anything but the almighty dollar that you're worshiping at this point. And you are a false prophet. And what you are doing is absolutely abhorrent to any sensible Christian. And it's blasphemous to the Holy Spirit. And it is condemned by God, as you shall be, should you continue on these kinds of courses. And anybody who follows you. I just can't imagine buying an apostleship. Well, you just heard it for yourself, and it's all documented in John MacArthur's book. Here we are on another page. We've got a, a, an apostle, a prophet named uh, Bill Yout, and he's going to prophesy, one of these charismatic Pentecostal guys. And he says, I heard the Father say, I am beginning to prophesy through commercials, candy, and clothing, especially over the holidays. I, I sense the Father saying, I will begin to meddle in the candy industry. I sense the Lord is going to begin to name some new candy bars. When these are named, they will release a prophetic anointing every time the name of the candy is mentioned. These names will have the power to call forth life and salvation. I am sure this prophetic candy is bound to have a heavenly taste to it that will be out of this world. People will end up tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. I saw angels anointing candy bar wrappers like God anointing prayer cloths of the Apostle Paul. Names on popular candy wrappers will speak prophetically to whomever reads or speaks their names. Candy wrappers will become like anointed prayer cloths throughout the land. End quote. In the same prophecy, Yalt said that Levi's genes we're going to receive prophetic anointing to call forth the spiritual Levites of this hour and that Wrangler clothing would be anointed to tame the tongue and give people the tongue of the learned to speak a word to those who are weary, end quote. Yao ends this word with a statement, earth, earth, Hear the word of the Lord, end quote. So, Rob, what we have here is a, and he starts out this prophecy from this this charismatic apostle or prophet of the New Reformation. He starts it out with, I heard the Father say. So he's giving all this as coming from God the Father. So, uh, what do you think about Anointed candy bars and Uh, jeans. I think that these guys are making the prophets of Jeremiah 23 look really good. (laughs) Really good at this point. I mean, as bad as these guys were in the Old Testament, they couldn't hold a candle to this garbage. Okay? And what can we say, Larry? We can repeat the word, over and over and over again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of God. 
I have heard what the prophets have said, who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream, candy bars at all. (laughs) How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart? They intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. Mm -hmm. That kind of trash only causes people to forget and in our day and age to mock the one and only true God and the one and only true Christian faith. So the sooner that these guys are destroyed from the face of the earth, die off, run off, get run off, whatever's going to happen to them, the better off Christianity will be. We can only feel sorry for them and pray for them mm. that, that our sovereign God would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. It is a sad tale. Oh, yes. It but is a sad tale. Like I say, they're doing it for uh, power, money, yep. and things of like that. That's their yep. God. Yep. And when it comes to these charismatic prophets, when you think about it, the God they serve is not the true biblical God. Their God is, is, is filthy lucre. <laughs> That's that's basically what it comes down to. These guys, it's a different religion. It's like yeah. Mormonism. Right. It's it's like uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian right. Science, and they make it up as they go. So. That's right. That's right. In fact, yeah. uh, a great and it ties back into what you were just saying there about how you felt sorry for all these people mm-hmm. that are falling into this trap, yeah. this satanic trap. And in Ezekiel, as a you can see it on your screen here, Ezekiel. Uh, 13, chapter 13, verse 6 and following, it says, They have seen vanity and lying divination, saying, The Lord saith, and the Lord hath not sent them. And they have made others to hope that they would confirm the word. Have ye not seen a vain vision? And have ye not spoken a lying divination? Whereas ye say, The Lord hath said it, albeit I have not spoken. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye have spoken vanity and seen lies, therefore, behold, I am against you, saith the Lord God. And mine hand shall be upon the prophets that see vanity and divine lies. They shall not be in the assembly of my people, neither shall they be written in the writing of the house of Israel, neither shall they enter into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am God. And the key verse that brought this to memory while you were saying that is verse 10 in uh, uh, Ezekiel chapter 14. Ezekiel chapter 14 verse 10 says, And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him. So it's just like you were saying. They and their followers. The followers... The, the false prophet's going to be destroyed, basically, like you were saying, by God mm-hmm. in the end. And uh, their curses on them are, are incredible. I'd hate to be in their shoes on Judgment Day. Yeah. But then those who followed after them are going to suffer the same fate. Blind leading the blind. They both fall into the pit. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Which is on uh, YouTube, and you can check into that because we go through a lot of the big guns in that particular movement. But there you can see uh, Francis Chan with Mike Bickle, who's an absolute heretic. Uh, uh, These are the real heretics, not like you were being accused of being one in that debate with the Roman Catholic uh, apologist. So 
uh, as I get ready to go into this, I wanted to mention that if anyone's out there, they want a free newsletter. Here's a newsletter we've done uh, called The Agony of Deceit. And it covers a lot of the people like Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and a lot of the people we've covered in that six-part series so far. Uh, when we get around to part seven, we'll be covering a lot of the ones that we haven't uh, got around to yet uh, to help because it seems to be, uh, I mean, this is just engulfing large numbers of people who claim to be Christians with these, these uh, phony charismatic and Pentecostal heretics. But uh, this newsletter is available and free of charge. All you do is email us at cdebater at aol.com and uh, either give your address, I can mail you a copy, or uh, if you send your email in, I can attach this entire newsletter in an attachment to an email back to you. So either way, you'll get that and any other newsletters that uh, we have available. Of course, most of them are available on our website. Uh, In fact, all of them are www.biblequery.org. Uh, all you have to do there, you get on our, our homepage of our website, biblequery.org, and to the upper uh, left-hand corner is a little icon, and you click on that, and it opens up a menu, and then it'll, you have several things you could choose from, but once newsletters, you can go there, and then you can open up any of our newsletters we've done in the past, and uh, I think there's a function there where you can actually print those out, too, or you can get them free from my mail from me, but if you send your uh, mailing address, that's just email cdebater at aol.com. Okay, with all that uh, said, and you've been looking at pictures of this Francis Chan here, what got my attention is I get a quarterly uh, journal here, which I've been getting since the early 1980s. It's a good evangelical publication, uh, sound Christian theology and stuff, and they kind of keep me updated on what's going on in the world out there and what's going on in what's called so-called Christianity. And, you know, as you look at this news update, and this is the latest issue, this is uh, from July, September 2019 at the time we're filming this. But you have news stories on here. Uh, like, for instance, on page two, you've got Christian Zionism 101. It gives, gives you information about that. I, and over here on page uh, three, uh, you've got Mormons allow baptisms for children of LGBT parents, you know, homosexual parents and stuff like that. And this McDonald guy getting fired by his church he founded. But what caught my attention was here down at the bottom. Chan says he's not Moses. And it says, as you're reading it there, Francis Chan, the nationally recognized author and speaker, who has attracted criticism for a variety of questionable teachings and association, associations, is now rebuking, quote, Christians who rely on his teachings for divine insight, end quote. According to Charisma, that's a magazine, Chan told conference goers at an Orlando gathering, quote, I'm not your Moses, end quote. The magazine stated that Chan said he is used to being treated like Moses, but apparently a divine revelation has changed that. At the conference, Chan said, and the Lord revealed something to me tonight just a couple of hours ago. He said, Francis, you're not supposed to be Moses. You're not supposed to go up on the mountaintop and have everyone go. What did he say? Question mark. Charisma reported in its April edition. Over the past several years, Chan has aligned himself 
with those within the new apostolic reformation. Now, that's what Rob and me just covered in episode six of our Mayhem series on the Pentecostals and Charismatics, including modern-day prophet Mike Bickle, and has authored Crazy Love, which underscores the social gospel message. Now, before I continue, Rob, I'll get you input. For people that don't know, what is the social gospel in contrast to the biblical gospel? Well, I think the social gospel, as I understand it, and I'm not sure it's clearly defined by uh, anyone in particular, but as I understand it, is a gospel that uh, emphasis is placed upon the well-being of society and maintaining the well-being of society through good works and through social programs. In other words, the uh, idea almost goes back to the old uh, social gospel of the uh, 1800s when the emphasis was upon improving mankind through social means while at the same time appealing to governments to spend more time and attention improving the state of mankind. And in all of this social gospel and, and, and stuff, the real gospel is lost. Yes. There's no cutting edge. Right. There's, there's no mention of sin, of depravity, no mention of need for redemption. In no, other words, social gospel would be very ecumenical. It's just kind of, everybody likes to help the poor it, and the it, little old lady across the street. And yes, you, you would call it ecumenical in the sense that, for instance, uh, the Roman Catholic religion is very strong to protect private schools. Mm -hmm. Not so much public schools because Roman Catholics have a private school system nationally. Mm -hmm. So to protect private schools sounds like a good idea. So you, you call up a few pastors in a, in a city and you say, we're just going to have a little march here and we're going to march for the, the right to private schools. Mm -hmm. And then you, you get a group together and say, well, let's just have a circle here and let's pray together. So you have the the Protestant pastors and Baptist pastors, so forth, and so on, pray with the Roman Catholic priests. And it bishops. sounds like the March for and Jesus. It's, it's just it's, all these religions all slapped together. And it, the idea is improving mankind and prote protecting things that are sometimes yeah. very good. The Right to Life movement yeah, yeah. has done a great deal to keep our nation on edge insofar as the termination of infants in the womb. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a good thing. But it fails when it comes to the gospel. There's right. no gospel in the right time. The gospel it's, is it's, the it's right time. Except for the here and now, not yeah. for the eternity. Right. So it, you do it's good in the here, but you still go to hell in the end. Right. It doesn't do you much good for eternity. Yeah. Maybe it'll help somebody temporarily in this life, but this whole, whole world, the Bible says, is passing away. Right. And, and we're going to have to face a whole new reality right. on the other side. When you now, re we're down to about 10 minutes. When so you replace the biblical gospel, the cutting edge of the biblical gospel with a social gospel, all you're doing is saying, what do we all agree on? Yeah. And what can we all protest? Against. So they don't cut each other's throat and fight among each other. They try right. to just make it simple and water down. Simple. And if that's, if that's what your church is involved in, if that's your goal, like Little League Baseball or m more recreation centers yeah. for the impoverished or clearing the streets of, of uh, homeless people by having more shelters, if that's the focus, mm. you've lost your gospel. Yeah. 
it's not going to save anybody from the wrath of God yeah. or hell yeah. Uh, yeah. through the salvation through yeah. Jesus Christ because yeah. you're not even really talking yeah. about him or the importance of it. Yeah. Uh, we got to we got to clear the streets of this trash. That's more important, you yeah. know, stuff like that. Right. Okay, right. we got that clarified. But I'm gonna be pressing a little bit because of our time limitations. Right. That's why we're doing this show by itself just to make it in time. The people at home can see this article. I picked this up off the internet. Anybody can go to this. It's called The Fall of Francis Chan and Why He Should Be Avoided. So if you want to read this for yourself on the Internet, just type that in the, the Yahoo or Google search box, and you should be able to bring it up easily. And uh, it was posted by Jeff Maples, February 24, 2019. And I'll just start reading through this briefly just to get this information out. It says, You may wonder why I believe Francis Chan has fallen and needs to be avoided. Isn't he orthodox? Doesn't he preach the true gospel? Isn't he, well, doctrinally sound? Well, Chan is a graduate of both John MacArthur's Master's University and seminary, an unusually solid seminary that teaches rightly on such important doctrines as the sovereignty of God, the inerrancy of Scripture, and the cessation of the apostolic sign gifts. He was the founder and former pastor of Cornerstone Community Church in Simi Valley, California. Chan is now a well-known conference speaker, regularly preaching alongside questionable, at best, charismatics such as Mike Bickle of IHOPKC and many others. And, of course, there you, you see a reference there to Francis Chan tosses his old church under the bus. That's coming from Bible-thumping wingnut. Francis Chan recently spoke at a gathering of Facebook employees who took the opportunity to disparage his old church. Chan, despite his solid theological educational background, is highly compromised in many ways. And not just because he regularly shares the stage with heretics. With that, in and out of itself is problematic. Chan's compromises are much deeper and stem from a serious lack of discernment. Chan aims to be a people pleaser. It's understandable that a person in the flesh would desire the praise of other men. But God dislikes this attitude, and the Apostle Paul warns against it. That's Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. When Chan decided to leave his church several years ago to begin his charismatic crusade, he announced to his congregation, quote, God was leading him elsewhere, end quote. Then two years ago, while speaking at a gathering, speaking of his former church, he told the audience that they were all a bunch of losers who didn't exercise their spiritual gifts. Francis Chan, for several years, has been on the speaker circuit for several heretical crusades. One of the most popular crusades he's frequented has been IHOPKC's annual One Thing Conference alongside such heretics as Todd White, Michael Brown, Joyce Meyer, and Seventh-day Adventist Ben Carson. This conference is not only heretical due to its theological grounding steeped in new apostolic reformation ideology, it's also ecumenical and holds a Catholic track. But Chan is no stranger to ecumenicism. In 2003, Mike Gendron, a Christian apologist best known for his polemics and evangelistic resources for Catholics, was invited to speak at Chan's church. Gendron, a man who knows and loves Catholics 
enough to speak truthfully about the serious and damning theological errors they hold to, spoke to Chan's audience truthfully about the errors of purgatory, Mary, the Eucharist, and the biblical way of salvation. This prompted Chan to rebuke Mike Gendron in front of the entire gathering, stating that, quote, it was a mistake to host Gendron. Now, at this point, I want to break to Rob. Rob, do you happen to know Mike Gendron? Do you know anything about this person? I certainly do. Mike and I have been friends for a long time. He's a fellow graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, and he uh, began his ministry directly out of seminary, proclaiming the gospel ministry, and he's well-respected, he's well-spoken, he's doctrinally sound, and he and I just did a conference together in Illinois, Springfield, Illinois, on the solas of the Protestant Reformation. Mike mentioned to me this man, Francis Chan, when he mentioned that he had been asked to stop speaking at a church in which he was invited to speak. I guess it was in the Q&A, and Mike was answering questions about various Roman Catholic doctrines. doctrines, And this man, Francis Chan, stood up and told him this conference is finished and uh, we're not listening to this anymore and told Mike that he was sorry that he invited him out to the church. Right in front of everybody. Right. And I I don't know this Francis Chan. First time that I heard his name was from Mike and now he's coming up again. I'd like to insert here a video clip of Mike Gendron, who's an author, speaker, evangelist, and apologist. Now, this is the man, Mike Gendron, that uh, this the theological heretic Francis Chan kicked out of his conference after inviting him to speak. But why would that be? It's because Mike Gendron is simply giving a true gospel message pertinent to people who are lost and following false doctrines. But since Francis Chan himself is a theological heretic, not in agreement with uh, true biblical doctrine, and would rather just entertain a bunch of goats instead of sheep, uh, because there's more money in that for people like Chan. Because after all, think about it. And if you go to our video called 87% of Evangelical Christians don't know what the gospel is or what justification is, we find from theological surveys done, and you'll get that information in this video, that most of the people that call themselves evangelicals are not Christians at all. They're fakes. 87% of evangelical Christians don't know what the gospel is or what justification is. And all these heretics out there, the Benny Hens, the Kenneth Copelands, the Francis Chans, and all the rest of these money-making heretics, They thrive on this 87% of the people out there who claim to be Christians, but they don't know a thing about biblical gospel or justification. And so that's what we're dealing with. So you have someone like Mike Gendron coming along. He's going to speak the biblical truth, whether people like it or not. He's going to preach it. Well, Francis Chan, that doesn't fit his heretical ideas. So here's an example And you can see the rest of this lecture by Mike Gendron in our video. And this clip is coming from our video called Roman Catholics Worship a Counterfeit Christ and Gospel While Denying Christ Alone. Mike Gendron. You can see that on our YouTube channel. Here's Mike in a little clip from that particular lecture. And as you hear him speak, 
Think about how this is driving Francis Chan nuts because he can't stand true biblical doctrine that expose heresies and lies that lead to damnation for those who believe it. All right, here we go. Mike Gendron. What a joy it is to be with like-minded believers this weekend to open the Word of God and to look at the reason for the Reformation. For over 1,200 years, the doctrines of grace were hidden from the people because the Roman Catholic religion hid them. And they took the Bible from the people, so the people had no way of knowing the truth from God's Word. In fact, many people don't know this, but the Bible was actually placed on the list of forbidden books at the Council of Trent. And if you were a Roman Catholic in the 16th century, if your sins If you wanted your sins forgiven, you had to return the Bible to the church before they would forgive your sins. And so that's why it was called the Dark Ages. The light of the gospel was not given to the people. Well, we're here this afternoon to talk about Christ alone. And it's an important subject, as you can imagine. We've talked about the importance of the foundation of the gospel, that being scripture alone. And then we talked about grace alone in the last session. And now we're going to talk about Christ alone. Many people don't realize the reason for the five solas. If you're a Roman Catholic in the 16th century and prior 1,200 years, you were told that you were saved by grace plus merit, faith plus works, Christ plus other mediators, scripture plus tradition, and to the glory of God and Mary and the saints. And so the reformers came on the scene and they said, no. The Bible teaches that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. The reason this topic is important, Christ alone, is because as you engage Roman Catholics with the gospel of Jesus Christ and you talk to evangelicals who are trying to reach them, oftentimes they will say, well, I know this Catholic who is saved already. And we'll ask the question, well, how do you know they're saved? Well, because they believe in Jesus. They they love Jesus. And my response is, which Jesus do they love? Which Jesus do they trust? And you're going to see in the presentation now that they do indeed worship a counterfeit Christ. He is an imposter. He's not the Christ of the Bible, nor is he the Christ of the gospel. And so it's important then as we witness to Roman Catholics, to recognize they belong to a different church, an apostate church. They submit to a different authority. They worship a different Jesus. They believe a different gospel. They have a different view of sin, and they have a different view of Mary. Ultimately, this leads to a different path to eternity. I have great compassion for Roman Catholics because they are where I was for most of my life believing I belong to the one true church and destined for heaven, albeit a detour through purgatory, but I believe that my religion would ultimately save me. So my compassion for Catholics that are in this religious system, they are indoctrinated, and they do not know the truth, and they're very resistant to the truth, which is why we need the sovereign grace of God to penetrate their stubborn hearts. Well, never before has there been such a need to preach Christ that is so gloriously revealed in Scripture. The person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ 
today is being compromised and distorted like never before. Whether it is a deliberate act or an act of ignorance, those who preach another Jesus need to be confronted and they need to be exposed. They are pawns of Satan who has created a variety of different Christs. You have the Christ of Roman Catholicism. You have the Jesus of Islam. You have the Jesus of Mormonism and the Jesus of the Jehovah Witnesses. They are imposters. They are counterfeit Christ. The world believes in Jesus, the historical Jesus, but unless you believe Jesus as he is gloriously revealed in Scripture, you have no hope of eternal life. And so like the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.8, we must preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. A biblical proclamation of Christ is needed to correct the faulty depictions of Christ. Lost people must come to the true Christ of the Bible. They must come God's way, and that is with empty hands of faith. The only thing a sinner can bring to the cross of Christ is his sin. He must leave everything else behind. So like Paul, we proclaim Christ alone, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We look at the Lord Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord. He has all authority to rule over his entire creation with power over sin, with power over death, sovereign power over diseases, demons, and nature. He has judicial authority to condemn men to eternal death or justify them to eternal life. There will come a day when at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. So the uncreated, infinite, and eternal nature of God was fully integrated with the finite, created nature of man. Deity and humanity came together in perfect unity. Man's perfect God became God's perfect man to satisfy divine justice for his people. Deity and humanity came together in perfect unity so that Jesus Christ could become the kinsman redeemer of mankind. Divine justice had to be satisfied by a sinless man, and he had to be the eternal God in order to cancel the eternal sin debt. Finite man can never do that, which is why hell is eternal. It took an eternal God to become man to cancel the sin debt. So the gospel is about Christ alone. In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, I often take Roman Catholics here. I show them there is only one name mentioned, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the eternal God incarnate, his virgin birth and his perfect life. There's no other name mentioned. Your name's not there. Mary's name's not there. Your Pope's name is not there. There is only one name in the gospel. The gospel is only about two events the unique, historical, unrepeatable, atoning death of Jesus Christ and his glorious resurrection from the dead. Well, Mike, why do you have to define the death of Jesus Christ with those words? Unique, historical, unrepeatable. 
It's because the Roman Catholic religion believes that the Roman Catholic priests have the power to call the Lord Jesus Christ down from heaven to be represented on an altar to continue the work of redemption. They deny the words of our bloodstained Savior. It is finished. We are saved because of a historical event that happened 2,000 years ago. Let's look at the Christ of the gospel. He is the eternal Lord God and Savior. Those who come to Christ must receive him both as Lord and Savior. As Pastor Gary mentioned earlier, there are other apostate churches and denominations that dare to say that you can receive Jesus as Lord, but not take him, I'm sorry, receive him as your Savior, but not take him as your Lord. No, Christ cannot be divided. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Did Paul say, believe on the Savior, Jesus Christ? Believe on the Lord, Jesus Christ. And Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, if you confess your, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He is the Lord God. He is also prophet, priest, and king, and he cannot be divided. Jesus is the last prophet who represents God to his people. As our prophet, he instructs us in the things of God and heals our blindness and ignorance. He is God's son, and God demands that we listen to him. Matthew 17, 5. He is also our perfect high priest, representing his people to God. And as the perfect high priest, he offers himself the perfect sacrifice to a perfect God who demands perfection. And then he cried out in victory, it is finished. The sacrifice of Jesus took place once, only once, but he still continues as our great high priest and makes continual intercession with the Father for us. We do not need a sacerdotal priesthood any longer. When the Lord Jesus gave up his spirit, the veil separating the Holy of Holies from sinful man was torn open from top to bottom, showing that now through faith in the shed blood of Jesus, we have direct access to God. We no longer need a priesthood offering sacrifices. But yet the Roman Catholic Church continues the priesthood, the sacerdotal priesthood. In a sense, it's an extension of Judaism. They deny the work of redemption is finished and the Roman Catholic priesthood is superfluous. It's unnecessary, and it brings shame and not glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one mediator between God and man. Could Paul have made it any other more clear? There is one God and one man, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is the only one qualified to come between two warring parties. That's the role of a mediator. Prior to us coming to Christ, our relationship with God was one of enmity and hostility. But through the mediation of God's perfect man and man's perfect God, he has changed that relationship to one of peace and harmony. How dare the Roman Catholic religion put forth another mediator in the name of another Mary who dares to say that she is the mediatrix of all grace? Denying again the words of Scripture. He's the only head of the church. 
He's the only one that died for his church. How dare the Roman Catholic Pope claim to be the head of the church? He not only steals that title from the Lord Jesus, he also steals the title Holy Father from the one and only Holy Father. That phrase, Holy Father, is only mentioned once in Scripture, and that's when Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer in John 17. But the Pope doesn't stop there. He also steals the title Vicar of Christ, the title, of course, given to the Holy Spirit. I thought that would be cool to have you, because you know him personally. Oh, I do. And yeah. uh, that was some good input there about this. Okay, so he doesn't like the truth about Roman Catholicism to be told to anybody. So we know that so far from here. Okay. That doesn't bode well for him. Uh, exactly. Right. Since uh, Roman Catholicism is an anti-Christ religion, right. denying the gospel. Roman Catholic publication? No, this is a Lutheran, oh, Lutheran publication. publication. Although I'm not Lutheran. Right. But uh, it usually has a lot of... There you go. Oh, I see. Christian okay. news right, right there. It has a lot of interesting articles in it, and that's right. why I've been subscribing to it for 25 years. <laughs> and so uh, I like the kind of information that they throw out there because they basically get information from these Roman Catholic sources, mm -hmm. other sources, not, not just Lutheran. It, they grab information from everywhere and stick it in one publication, which gives me access right. to all this kind of information. Right. Okay. So uh, anyway, here's, a, here's a, a, another thing here in this next uh, publication from January 24, 2011, uh, Evolution OK in Rome. And uh, it basically here, I'm not going to read into all this, but uh, Roman Catholicism in their hierarchy accept the doctrine of, of uh, Darwin's theory of evolution, that the uh, universe is billions of years old, mm -hmm. and uh, that's for it. And then, the, as you can see underneath that, it says, Pope says, God behind the Big Bang. Uh, and uh, even the article underneath that says, Pope pays way for beautification of John Paul II, where... They're setting it up for him to be this beautified saint. Mm -hmm. uh, Fast-tracking him. Exactly. And uh, this newer pope after the other one retired because of scandals, uh, this Pope Francis is fast-tracking uh, John Paul II, who was a universalist, an evolutionist, right. uh, denied the inerrancy of Scripture, uh, kissed the, the Quran, all these types of things. But anyway, these articles cover that. Uh, I'm just kind of going through some of this stuff to see what, what I've got here. Since this particular video was produced in studio before two popes canonized two other popes as saints, the following article, which appeared in the Christian News of May 19, 2014, is submitted to update our viewers. Two New Mythical Saints Pope John Paul II and Pope John XXIII are the latest additions to Rome's mythical sainthood. The Vatican Information Service reported that half a million people crowded into St. Peter's Square and the surrounding area to witness the canonization ceremony on the morning of April 27, 2014. And in fact, this one here, as people can see at home, uh, looking down the page a little bit, it says the, uh, the primary cause of the great sex scandal in the Roman Catholic Church is its decades-long cover-up of the tremendous number of homosexual priests, bishops, archbishops, seminarians, and even a pope. Talking there about, of course, uh, Pope uh, Paul VI. Some Roman Catholic authorities have estimated that as much as 50% of Roman Catholic priests and seminarians may be homosexuals. 
It's difficult to get an exact figure. The September 26, 2005 Newsweek magazine reported that, quote, the Reverend Donald Cousin, in his book, The Changing Face of the Priesthood, estimated that 23 to 58% of the Roman Catholic clerics have homosexual orientations, mm. end quote. And uh, just reading down the page a little bit, and they quote this other book here, The Homosexual Network, Christian News has noted for some 30 years that Milwaukee Archbishop uh, Rembert Weakland was a pro-homosexual who was covering up for a homosexual priest, Father Enrique T. Ruda, in his The Homosexual Network, Private Lives and Public Policy, published by Devin Adair in 1982 and reviewed in Christian News, exposed the famous Milwaukee Archbishop. Liberal churchmen appreciated Weakland's socialist notions and attack on America's free enterprise system. We have another, this is one of the most exhaustive books by another Roman Catholic scholar named Randy Engel. Just glancing back here at the back, back pages, that's already uh, over 1,200 pages of documentation on, and also about Pope uh, Paul VI and his, his uh, homosexual activities. And this uh, is a Roman Catholic This is author. Roman Catholic. All, all these are Roman Catholic yeah. authors. You've got this one, and then, of course, we've got this would other they, one. Would they be put in the camp of a modern Roman Catholic or a conservative? To tell Roman you the truth, Catholic. I haven't studied that to, to find out because mm -hmm. there's, there's a... Oh, spectrum. There's a spectrum now, and that's what I'm really trying to point out here as we get into these Roman Catholic apologists. Mm -hmm. of what's going on in this? People think it's sort of like a, a monolithic organization, but right. when you start breaking down Roman Catholics, they start getting into all their little camps and different uh, aspects, of, you know, and you find things that, that are really different. Like if you go down to South America, for instance, you've got Roman Catholics down there that are nothing more than spiritists, mm -hmm that use the Roman Catholic Church as a place to worship their ancestors, you know, but it, 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 it's across the globe, Roman Catholicism can be almost anything they want it to be, depending on what, what's going on. Mm -hmm. And uh, what's interesting is these Roman Catholic apologists are defending this. <laughs> but here's another book by another Roman Catholic, uh, Goodbye, Good Men. And uh, what he's saying here is how liberals brought corruption into the Catholic Church. Now, this guy is a Roman Catholic. Right, so he would with, agree with St. Genis that the, uh, right, the liberals right. have corrupted them. Yeah, church. and then up here it says, absolutely astonishing. This bombshell book reveals a seminary underworld in which homosexual promiscuity is rampant, and seminarians who support the church's teachings are persecuted. Mm. And that's by uh, Rod Detcher of the National Review. Mm. So all this is documented in publications all over the place. Mm. So you're, you're looking at almost half the, half the Roman Catholic uh, priests being homosexuals, mm. even a, po uh, a pope, and then the other popes have been covering up mm. the activities that have been going on. Now here's just another publication. Let's see what we got here. We got, uh, as you can see on your screen, uh, Paul, uh, Pope Paul VI, Homosexuality, Rumor or Reality. And in this article, it's documenting uh, everything uh, that he was he was actually, uh, having an affair with an Italian movie star. <laughs> and he documented all this. Uh, and then it says here, Catholic rights for practicing homosexuals during Pope's England visit. So you got that there. And there's even a picture of two uh, Roman Catholic seminarians kissing each other at the seminary. <laughs> uh, 
So uh, then you got the, here another article from April 5th, 2010. Uh, Catholic church abuse allegations ripple across the globe. And then I've got another article here uh, by the Associated Press, uh, AP exclusive. Uh, as you can see on your screen, uh, future pope stalled pedophile case. Mm-hmm. What else we got here? Some, uh, some Roman Catholics protest against Pope's universalism. The Pope ceased to be a Christian leader. You've got some of these other Roman Catholics, and it gives the Roman Catholic citations in this publication from February 22, 2010, mm. where they're getting mad. As you can see here on your screen, here's a picture of, uh, of, from left uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, Robert Runcie, Orthodox Bishop, Medios, and uh, Pope John Paul II hold olive trees, symbolic of peace and the conclusion of the World Day of Prayer for Peace, an interfaith gathering held in Assisi, Italy mm-hmm. in October 1986. So you can see him with these other religions. And we already know from what we read a while ago, there was 200 other representatives there right. of all these you know, Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists. Right. And uh, and the Pope's embracing all these while he's kissing the Quran at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see, I'm almost done here. But this is just uh, to show the magnitude of the information that's out there that apparently a lot of people don't seem to understand. Here on this uh, this one from uh, April 4, 2011, does the Pope believe in the resurrection? And here we see Pope uh, Benedict XVI, a universalist, evolutionist, and a higher critic of the Bible. Mm. Uh, so, and basically, what it, this this article is doing is it's it's reviewing Pope Benedict XVI's book that he wrote, the Joseph uh, Cardinal Ratzinger. Introduction to Christianity. And in his book, uh, basically, he says that the word uh, body or flesh in the phrase the resurrection of the body, in effect, means the world of man. Uh See, so he redefines the biblical terminology in his book away from a physical resurrection of Christ Mm -hmm. into more of a new age metaphysical understanding of the scriptures. Mm And this is from the very Pope in Rome, and this is basically going through and and documenting all this from his own book, where the Pope actually denies the resurrection of Christ by redefining all the terminology, which is what most cults do anyway. You know, you can talk to a Mormon, for instance, and he says Mm -hmm. that uh, Jesus, uh, he'll, he'll say, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then what you have to do is ask him, what does he mean by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? And when you get him to do that, he says, well, Elohim is the father of this planet. Jesus is the brother of the devil, Lucifer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was one of the spirit children born to Adam, according to Brigham Young, who was uh, over this planet and had many wives, and Eve was just one of the many of his wives. Mm. And so Jesus is just the spirit brother of the devil. And the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit is a third god but unfortunately for him, he doesn't have a body. That's why he's called a spirit. So see, they've actually got three gods. But if you're just talking to them, and you have to believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they'll say yes. Of course. Yeah. But so when you Very talk, typical. so when you talk to uh, uh, Pope uh, <clears throat> Benedict XVI and ask him, "Do you believe in the resurrection?" Yes. Of course. Of course. But see, you got to read his book just to understand what he's really talking about. Just like I've read the Book of Mormon and all their other things to find out what they're really talking about. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to go beyond the right. semantic barrier mm-hmm. to get to the 
the, the, the point of it. Okay, Chan's obvious discontent with biblical truth shows that he is not only theologically inept and lacks serious discernment, but that he also seeks to not offend man, effectively offending God much worse. Now, it's funny. He doesn't mind offending true Bible guys like Mike Gendron, <laughs> but, but he doesn't want to say anything bad about the heretics. So that's the funny thing about that. Okay, going back to this. In his never-ending crusade to please the world, Chan continues to praise well-known, well-liked heretics while throwing solid men of God under the bus. Chan knows that men like Gendron are less popular with the world and the culture because they see the truth of Scripture as black and white without compromise. This weekend, Chan at Lou Eagle's 2019 Sin Conference, Chan was noted praising arch-heretics Todd White and Daniel Colinda. Todd White is a fraudulent faith healer who claims to have healed hundreds of people of various ailments without a shred of evidence. Todd White holds to the word of faith heresy, little God theology, and is largely into the heretical new apostolic reformation movement that teaches that the office of apostle, like the original 12, has been reinstated and apostles and prophets exist today. Besides the fact that every single apostle and prophet in this movement is morally compromised in some way, not a single one has ever prophesied the way the biblical prophets have done. You can see Chan praising men in the video below towards the end. Francis Chan, though he may occasionally speak things that sound right and biblical, is a wolf in sheep's clothing to be avoided at all costs. Because of his associations with heretics and false teachers and his considerable lack of discernment, Chan leads his people astray. He is not a shepherd to be followed as he feeds his sheep directly to the wolves. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? And of course, uh, this finishes with uh, the verse Rob read at the beginning of this video. Ezekiel 14.10, And they shall bear the punishment of their iniquity. The punishment of the prophet shall be even as the punishment of him that seeketh unto him. This is the first time I've ever been to an IHOP event. Um, yeah, and uh, which is, it's kind of crazy to me because I didn't know that much and, you know, so I kind of went on the internet and started looking things up. And I go, man, there's a lot of great things going on here. And today was the first time I ever met Mike Bickle. Um, and I love that guy. I do. I, I mean, you know, and Mike knows we've talked about this. You know, uh, there's people that told me not to hang out with him. Like, you know, you know words like creepy come up. And, and, and yet... I get to know this guy, and I'm going, man, I love his heart. And I just want to publicly say, I love Mike Bickle, you know? The information I'm going to share with you now about the International House of Prayer, also known as IHOP, this information I'm using is from the author's John Park, edited by Matt Schlick. Now, Matt Schlick is the president and founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, also known as CARM.org, CARM.com, 
which I highly respect and think is a good resource for Christians out there if they need good Christian apologetic information. As you can see on your screen, the article goes like this. The International House of Prayer, IHOP, was started on May 7, 1999 by Mike Bickle in Kansas City. It is well known for its 24-7 worship and prayer ministry. It has grown substantially and includes international connections, its own seminary, and an undergraduate program. People from around the globe are flocking to IHOP to learn. Origins and Goals The origin of the International House of Prayer started in 1982 after a man named Augustine approached Mike Bickle and said an audible voice told him to prophesy to his congregation. Later that year, Mike Bickle claimed to hear an audible voice speaking to him while on a trip to Cairo, Egypt. The voice told him, I am inviting you to raise up a work that will touch the ends of the earth. I have invited many people to do this thing, and many people have said yes, but very few have done my will. Mike Bickle has been quoted to say, the church brings on the great tribulation. And for the sake of time, viewers at home can just freeze frame the screen and read that prophetic so-called utterance from Bickle. Bickle proposes that an elite end-time church defeats God's enemies and Jesus is, quote, held in the heavens, end quote, until it happens. And right here we see, as Bickle states, right now the prayer movement is growing fast, really fast. But when I say it's growing fast, instead of 1% of the body of Christ taking hold of it, maybe 10%. You know, it's like 10 times bigger than it was a generation ago. But beloved, as fast as the prayer movement is growing, where people are getting hold of it, still for 90% of the body of Christ, it's not even on their mind. Jesus is not coming until the body of Christ globally is crying out, quote, Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, end quote. And they don't just say, come and forgive me. They are crying out in the understanding of who they are and as the one that is cherished by Jesus in the bridal identity. Okay, and then we go on with the article here. The power of emotionalism, mysticism, and Gnosticism. The major draw of IHOP is experience. Experience is fine as long as it is not against scripture. We don't want mysticism, which is defined as the pursuit of deeper or higher subjective religious experience, and that spiritual reality is perceived apart from the human intellect and natural senses. IHOP practices what is known as centering or contemplative prayer. This is defined as the practice of relaxing, emptying the mind, and letting oneself find the presence of God within. In fact, they had an article titled Contemplative Prayer on their website, but after much negative press, they have taken it down. However, the contents of the article have been preserved by a former IHOP staff member's website and is available for all to see here. And there's your link if you want to go see what the original said before they took it down. One of the highest criticisms of IHOP is that of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is derived from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge. 
Gnosticism is the idea of having hidden knowledge of the spiritual realm that is unavailable to others. This knowledge comes via prophecies, visions, and dreams that God specifically gives to a certain privileged group of people. In this case, IHOP. In fact, IHOP has their own prophecy rooms where one can receive prophecies. Great experiences with our Lord are a gift from God, but one needs to exercise caution concerning the authority he or she gives personal experiences. We have a quote here from Dr. John MacArthur's sermon, quote, Are experiences a valid source of truth? End quote. Here's what Dr. MacArthur says. There is the ploy they use. Well, we would expect you to be against it since you haven't had the experience. That is Gnosticism. That is believing that you have been elevated to a higher level of comprehension which the uninitiated have no understanding. Rodham Williams, who has written a number of books and who was once the president of a local charismatic school, and I quote said, any vital information concerning the gifts of the Spirit, the mnemonic charismata, predisposes a participation in them. Without such a participation, whatever is said about the gifts may only result in confusion and error. If you haven't had it, you have no right to talk about it. One pastor said to me, You talk exactly like one who has never had the experience. You are speaking out of ignorance. I wonder if they feel they are talking about heaven, hell, murder, adultery, homosexuality, and numerous other subjects. Do you have that experience too? This obviously shows the hypocrisy of the charismatic uh, argument that you have to have one of their experiences to understand what's going on. Okay, the viewers at home, as I said, can freeze frame. For the sake of time, I'm not going to try to read all of this material here, but uh, as you look at this, I'm going to read one of the samplings of the prophecies, and then from there you can look at some of the others on your screen by simply freezing the, the screen and then reading the information. Okay, number one, on disc seven of the prophetic history, Bickle describes a visitation to the throne room of God as he is told that God will be restoring the apostles to the church. Let me preface this by saying that before getting to this point in his message, Bickle described the experience as being one on par with the Apostle Paul's experience in the third heaven in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as well as John's visions particularly in Revelation. They've been told by church leadership that it is up to them to usher in the second coming of Jesus. They've been encouraged to do away with discernment concerning mystical experiences. They've been told that they are forerunners of Christ in the same way that John the Baptist was. They've been told that the orthodox views of Christianity are weak and it's up to them to restore the true message of the gospel using their new powers from God to start a revival that will win souls for the kingdom. Now, just looking at that is about as cultic as you can get. Every false prophet down through history follows this same formula for leading people astray. You think of the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventists, 
all the different new age cults. It's just the same old story. You depart from the word of God and you're going to get yourself in serious trouble. All right, viewers can see the rest of these prophecies here and teachings of Bickle. I'm not going to read them all, but they're there for you to analyze by simply stopping the screen and read it for yourself. If you want copies of this, just uh, contact our ministry at cdebater at aol.com or go to the CARM website. Now, we also see down here the denigration of the Bible and Sola Scriptura. One of the greatest issues of this movement, Bickle's movement, is their denial of one of the bedrock doctrines of the Reformation and evangelical Christianity, Sola Scriptura, or Scripture alone. Sola Scriptura is the teaching that the Bible is the revealed will of God and all that is necessary for faith. All teachings are contained within the Bible and practice the things we need to govern our church and everyday life. For an excellent explanation of this by Dr. Greg Bonson, go to this link at www.christiantruth.com, articlesbonson.html. When people from IHOP make decisions, they do not use the Bible as the final revelation from God because they supposedly get direct revelation from him. That's God. They deny this very doctrine that defines the Protestant and evangelical faith. Sadly, this is rampant at IHOP. Now, IHOP, Bickle's outfit, they have been classified and indexed as a cult by multiple ministries. There are certainly many different theological distinctives in the Christian church, and many of us do differ. However, we do not go so far as to label each other cults or heretics. On the other hand, IHOP has been labeled dangerous, cultic, false, and heretical by many ministries, former members, apologetic groups, and godly men. In fact, other charismatic Christians have stood up to oppose them as well. Of course, our ministry, Christian Answers of Austin, Texas, definitely rate these guys, the IHOP and the rest of these new apostolic Reformation people, as absolute arch-heretics, false prophets, no better than Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, or any New Age cultic group like Unity School of Christianity. It's just damnable heresy. And those that engage in it are definitely going to end up in the wrong place after death. Conclusion. A quick review of the main offenses include 1. Cultic origin, worship style, and goals. 2. Emotionalism. 3. Mysticism. 4. Gnosticism. 5. The IHOP dilemma. 6. False prophecies. 7. Effective denial of sola scriptura. 8. Opposition by multiple godly Christian groups. Though it may seem like a place that is on fire and passionate for God, this is simply not the case. The viewers at home can see all the uh, footnotes for the documentation concerning what's going on with IHOP. And of course, there's the president and founder of the Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, Matt Slick, a very good Christian apologist and man of God. A thing to remember, God has ordained false prophets. That's Jude 4. The existence of Satan and demons, that's Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 through 17, and false religions, that's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. So people can be put to the test whether they will stand for God or not. 
Read the book of Job. Deuteronomy 13.3 says, Ye shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Everything in the end will be brought to Judgment Day, Revelation chapter 20. Due to these circumstances, the following applies. The Bible tells us to expose error, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. Quote, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them, end quote. And to expose error, we must make righteous judgments. Christians must judge in order to, one, try the spirits to see if they are from God, for many false prophets are in the world. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Point two, mark and avoid false teachers, slaves of their own bellies, deceiving many with their smooth and flattering speech. That's Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Three, rebuke false teachers, rebellious men and deceivers who subvert whole families with their false doctrine. That's Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 16. Point four, have no fellowship with immoral, impure, or covetous men. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 5 through 7. Point 5. Receive not deceivers who do not abide in the teaching of Christ into your homes, nor giving them any greeting. That's 2 John, verses 7 through 11. Point 6. Be wary of those who preach another gospel. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Even David, who feared touching one of God's anointed, did not hesitate to judge and expose Saul's sin before the world. Quote, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness. That's 1 Samuel 24, 10 and verses 12 and 13. Thus shouldn't true Christians, following the biblical standards laid down, Judge and expose the sins of false teachers, prophets, and immoral brothers in the church, all those who would pollute the truth with perverted doctrines or watered-down teachings which tickle the ear. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5 says, quote, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with Great patience and instruction, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to miss. But you, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. Our ministry, Christian Answers of Austin, Texas, Christian Debater, has attempted to do just that in order to protect the sheep of God from the many ravenous wolves that exist at every turn. See our YouTube channel at C Answers TV, 1 Peter 3.15. And to every man an answer for the hope that lies within you. In this new book, God's Answers to the Growing 
crisis, you've got to have answers. You write that Bob Jones, he prophesied Psalms 27, 4 to you. Can you tell us about that? So it's kind of a set of states. Yeah, well, some folks don't know about Bob Jones. He's went to be with the Lord a few years yes. ago in his 80s, in his mid-80s. But uh, for many years, had a very, very strong prophetic ministry and touched many leaders around the body of Christ. Uh, quite remarkable. But it was 35 years ago, he walks into my office in Kansas City, 1983, almost 35 years ago. I've got this young adult church. I'm in my 20s. He's, you know, about, you know, in 50s, 60s, something like that. He, to me, he was old, real yeah. old. Yeah. You know, I'm oh, 62. Yeah. He's younger than, than yeah. now. But he walked in. We have this vibrant young adult church. Of, we got lawyers and doctors. We had 10 football players from the Kansas City Chiefs. We had these kind of successful professionals that were doing great and doing awesome. And Bob grew up in the hills of Arkansas Mm -hmm. and uh, skipped a few steps of education. And uh, his language made that kind of clear that he skipped a few steps. Mm -hmm. But uh, he walked in my office, kind of the one old guy, because all of our people were in their 20s. And I thought, Mm -hmm. sir, you know, uh," I said, my name's Mike Bickle. I put my hand out. And uh, he did not shake my hand. He looked up around like that. And I said, my name is Mike Bickle. And he goes, he goes, yep. Yep, this is, this is uh, what the Lord was telling me. And I go, excuse me? <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and he said, I'll just give you the snapshot. It's a quite long story, like everybody's got a long story. But he said, uh, I'm going to tell you uh, where you're going in the future and uh, what the Lord's going to put in front of you. And I didn't really, I wasn't really up for that. His, he didn't look like the type that would give me an intelligent, clear answer about my future. Mm-hmm. And he said, uh, you're going to have 24 hour prayer with singers and musicians. Wow. Well, I went, uh, I went, yeah. wow. I didn't go, wow. Just so you know, I went, yeah. what? Yeah. Cause and he said, you're going to have that. He goes, number one, number two, he said, the Lord's going to move you from the wealthy part of Kansas city where we had all these, <laughs> I mean, a lot of top young leaders, a lot of successful economically. He goes, he's going to move you from here to the other side of town uh, to this blue-collar community because Harry S. Truman lived there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, what are you talking about? Yeah. He said, because the reason, because Harry S. Truman was an intercessor for the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. A majority of things... <laughs> I went on a three-month spiritual journey. I left Jacksonville, Florida. I was hanging with a prominent motorcycle gang, and they put a patch on me. And I left because something went right. I got out of prison in 2007, and I met that man that I was with. And I left after 21 months because something went right. So I came to Kansas just to stay with somebody I knew. And the father knew what he was doing because I wound up here. I got delivered. I got signed, sealed, and delivered. Is that I've been delivered from a sight I had since I was five years old. Five years old. And it's a demonic sight. There's many people out that could have it. And I promise you it is not a gift from the Father if it scares you. 
and that there is victory in his love and that if it no manifesting and all that kind of stuff and the healing is left for after the service when you come but it's changed now oh. so I, the Lord began touching you here and then you went home yeah at Christmas yeah and what happened when you went oh, home my pastor told me he asked me if I could speak at my church for three of our services spirit is God and he takes his glasses off and he looks up and he's like I feel like I just woke up <laughs> Hallelujah! Hallelujah! as the viewers are about to see there's a meeting here of Azusa Street people which is charismatic mania you might say ecumenical with Catholics Orthodox evangelicals all persuasions of so-called, quote, Christianity, end quote, getting together. And what these people fail to realize is that God hates this kind of activity, and it's right in the Word of God. And Francis Chan has aligned himself with these people, Mike Bickle and all the rest of them, New Apostolic Reformation, so forth. He's become one of them, and thereby proving his apostasy from the true Christian faith. Now let's take a look at what the Word of God says about all this ecumenical chaos going on. 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 33 and 34 from the New American Standard Bible. It says in verse 33, They feared the Lord and served their own gods according to the custom of the nations from among whom they had been carried away into exile. To this day, they do according to the earlier customs. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow their statutes or their ordinances or the law or the commandments which the Lord commanded the sons of Jacob, whom he named Israel. So while these nations feared the Lord, they also served their idols, their children likewise, and their grandchildren as their fathers did, so they do to this day. So what Francis Chan and all the rest of these charismatic people are doing with the Catholics and the rest of them, are, and the rest of them are they're just combining with false religions and thinking, hey, let's just sing Kumbaya. We all say the name Jesus, and it all must mean the same thing, which is never the case. All these different religions define the gospel in different ways, and they have different Jesuses. So this kind of meeting that you're about to see proves what God himself condemns, as we find here in 2 Kings chapter 17, verses 33, 34, and 41. Let us praise the Lord together. Catholics, evangelicals, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Bishop O'Connell is here with me. Please say hello. Bishop David O'Connell, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing us all together again. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. 1967, Duquesne University. The Spirit was outpoured. That's 50 years ago. It's Jubilee. Today, our Catholic brothers are with us. Tell us, Mateo, welcome. Give our shout of thanksgiving for our Catholic brothers. Go ahead. Thank you so much. 
Siamo una delegazione cattolica, io vengo dall'Italia. Porto il saluto da parte di 150 milioni di cattolici carismatici. And I bring you a salute from 150 million charismatic Catholics. Siamo parte della stessa famiglia. We're part of the same family. Anche noi siamo parte della famiglia di Azusa Street. And we are also a part of the family of Azusa Street. Azusa Street è l'attualizzazione della profezia del profeta Gioele. It's in actuality the prophecy of Joel in action. Negli ultimi giorni dice il Signore Dio, io espanderò il mio spirito su ogni carne. He said in the last days he will pour out his spirit upon all flesh. E così abbiamo una carne evangelica. So we have an evangelical flesh. Una carne protestante. We have a Protestant flesh. Una carne cattolica. We have a Catholic flesh. Dio non fa riguardo di persona. God Dio non ha riguardo di persona. Ma chiunque lo teme e accetta Dio. But whoever holds him and accepts him. E questa è la lezione che Pietro ha dovuto imparare nella casa di Cornelio. And this is the lesson that we learn in the house of Cornelius. Dio ha dato a noi lo stesso spirito. God has given us the same spirit. Cattolici protestanti, evangelici, pentecostali, ortodossi, ebrei, catholics, protestants, orthodox, hebraic messianics. Come dice Paolo, ci siamo abbeverati allo stesso spirito. Just like Paul says we have drunk of the same spirit. Per formare un solo corpo. To form one body. Il corpo di Cristo. Body of Christ, una sola chiesa. One church. Un solo Signore. One Lord. Gesù ha pregato, Padre, fa che siano uno affinché il mondo creda. Jesus said, make us one until the world believes. Dobbiamo pentirci se il mondo, oggi dopo duemila anni, non ha ancora conosciuto il nome di Gesù che salva. We need to repent if after 2000 years the world doesn't believe yet. Christ is Lord. Che cosa impedisce al mondo di conoscere Gesù? What hinders the world from knowing Jesus? Una parte della responsabilità è a causa del peccato della divisione dei cristiani. And one big part of that is the division of Christians. La divisione è un peccato diabolico. Division is a diabolical sin. E noi dobbiamo pentirci. We need to repent e pregare and pray per rimuovere to remove questa causa che impedisce al mondo di credere the e quello che noi vogliamo fare quest'oggi ancora today, what we do. il Signore vuole rompere lo spirito della divisione Jesus wants to break the of non ha importanza le nostre differenze He care about our non saremo riconosciute per le nostre differenze We're not be known by our per le nostre dottrine For our per le nostre tradizioni For our ma per l'amore che avremo gli uni gli altri But for the love that we have one for another Gesù ha detto da questo vi riconosceranno se avrete amore gli uni verso gli altri ed è quello che vogliamo fare noi cattolici 
We Catholics abbiamo ricevuto tanto We've dal movimento di Azusa Street. So much from the Azusa Street Ma vogliamo ab- saldare un debito. But we want to sow a debt. Chiedere perdono pubblicamente a we, voi protestanti. We want to ask you Protestants per non aver rispettato questa legge dell'amore di Gesù. We want to ask for your forgiveness for not respecting the love of the law of Per non Jesus. aver usato amore e carità nei vostri confronti. For not respecting you and showing love and generosity. Per questo umilmente in this humility noi vi chiediamo perdono nel nome di Gesù. We ask that you would forgive us in the name of Jesus. Nel nome di Gesù, in the name sorelle. of Jesus, brothers and sisters. Pregate per noi. Please pray for e us. E donateci il vostro perdono, la vostra misericordia. Please give us your forgiveness and your mercy. E ora voglio compiere un gesto perché i gesti sono più importanti delle parole. And today I want to just symbolically make a gesture. Avrei voluto lavare i piedi, ma non è molto pratico. We wanted to wash your feet, Lou, but we found that it's not really practical here. Ma simbolicamente io voglio baciare i piedi di Lou e come per quello che noi possiamo rappresentare la Chiesa Cattolica, noi cattolici vogliamo compiere questo gesto di umiltà. We want to, Lou, kiss your feet as Catholics and just honor you with this gesture right now. Raise up Catholics all over the world. One billion souls of Catholics to come into the kingdom of God. The hour is coming. The chains are broken. The loosing of the Lord upon every single Catholic in the world that they would see the baptism of the Holy Spirit. A revival will spring forth in the Catholic Church like never before. We're just in a holy moment right here. I want to do the same thing for you. Come, my brothers and sisters. I want you to come here. Come on, the elders, just come. I want to join this thing. This is holy stuff. Signore, io ti ringrazio. Jesus, I thank you. Perché tu stai rompendo lo spirito di divisione because you're breaking the spirit of division tu prepari un grande risveglio in you're preparing a great revival all'inizio di questo nuovo millennio in the event of this great call è quello che hai compiuto 110 anni fa and that which you wanted to do 110 years ago lo puoi fare ancora you're gonna do it again fallo ancora signore do it again fallo ancora signore fallo ancora signore manda la potenza del tuo spirito e battezza questa generazione nello spirito del tuo amore oh tuo spirito let your spirit come again for a billion Catholics we got a brother who is over evangelism in this archdiocese we want to pray 
I want you to lift, stretch out your hands. We're going to pray for the evangelization, the mighty evangelization of the peoples of Los Angeles. Go ahead. I mean, we're, our worship teams are getting geared up for it, but we want to take, we want to keep, we want to bring everybody to the main auditorium, and we want to give real defining statements about the hour we're living in. I mean, we're living in crisis right now. I mean, we just did the call in. Mike, you can feel it. I mean, the election is just a part of it. What's going on in California, uh, the, the, the rage. We are in such pressuring days for a generation to just go light, kind of be politically correct. Don't, don't anybody rock the boat. A, an Elijah prophetic movement is coming that will stand in the face of compromise and say, this is not where we're going. And this is the kind of message that we're seeking to call for. Yeah, because well, God's really messengers. I mean, it's good to do intimacy. I mean, we're so rooted in that. But we feel like that we're going to take our, 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 this conference beyond the message of intimacy. Hello, my name is Mike Bickle. I'm the director of the International House of Prayer, and I'm right here with Keith Major. And Keith, you're hosting and sponsoring our Catholic ecumenical track at One Thing, the Young Adult Conference. Mm -hmm. We're expecting thousands of young people from all around. So tell us what's on your heart, because we're so excited to have you here. What an honor and what a blessing that you guys are doing this together and coming to join with us in this building. Well, I learned so much from you the six and a half years I was on staff, and I just want to share this experience with my Catholic friends. So I like to thank you for even hosting, letting us come in to your conference and, 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 and learn from you, because we have so much to learn from what you're doing with the prayer Well, And we have so much to learn from all over the body of Christ, Catholics, Charismatics, non-Charismatics, denominations, anyone who loves Jesus. That's why we're hosting an ecumenical track, or that's why, actually, you're the one leading it, and I so appreciate you doing that, because if you love Jesus, and the Word of God, man, we're going on the same direction together before the Lord, and so we love that. Thank yeah. you. So please come. Tell your friends, tell your whoever you can, you know, that's interested in this. We're going to have a great time yeah. in the Lord. Yeah. But the core that we must stand upon is if you are in Christ, you are in one body. And that is the core to our unity. And if you say, well, how come we're so different? Because we're supposed to be. Some of us are hands, some are feet, some are noses, some are mouths, some are eyes, some are ears. We don't need the mouth to act like a foot. We don't need the ear to look like an eye. We need to be a body united together under the one head. One body, one spirit, one hope that we're called to, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and everybody said, one God over all. And that is the basis for our unity, Nick. Amen. Amen. So good. Can we make some noise for Jesus in this place again? Yeah, we just believe it's time for friendship, it's time for understanding. Well, I was actually there in Rome, mm -hmm. um, that the um, Catholic Church changed its stance completely, its method of dealing with churches. Before it had condemned all religions, it's saying it was the only true religion. It condemned Buddhists, uh, Muhammad, and uh, the uh, Islam, and, and, and Bible believers were called heretics. And, uh, and then it, ch it changed completely. 
It was like a 180 degrees change. It changed to accepting. Were you aware at that time the the magnitude of what was discussed? In uh, I, I I was I was aware that something was in the air. We discussed it, but we didn't read. We didn't have the documents when I was actually there at Rome. There were only been they, they were going to begin to be printed uh, and then translated into different languages. So, but we got wind of it, the talk of what was going on, mm-hmm. because you know we're part of the church and we know what's going on. It wasn't until a little while later the following year when I was sent to Trinidad but we actually got copies and then I was very well aware because it was implemented nearly right away there in Trinidad the decisions to accept other churches they were now to be called separated brethren (laughs) Bible believers no longer condemned and the Hindus and the Buddhists and uh, and Islamic people, Muslims, were accepted to having a a form of godliness, you know. And uh, I was horrified because literally I had neighbors who were Buddhists Mm -hmm. and uh, Hindus, and uh, I knew some um, Islamic people. We hadn't got many Muslims, we had some Muslims in Trinidad. So I was aghast at the Catholic Church accepting these religions. Please remember that that since the Vatican II, the Roman Catholic Communion at least, took a 180 degree turn and it recognized explicitly and formally that the Holy Spirit is at work in other religions. Hence some of their rituals without designating which ones and getting into the details, also lead to salvation. And this is a fundamental truth that hasn't filtered down too far. It certainly hasn't gotten into the pews, and I'm not so sure how far it has gotten down the various corridors of the Vatican. But this is what the fathers of the church in the most authoritative formal teaching of our times have said. It's so wonderful that we can forgive them that it took 1900 years to get there. These religions, uh, I had seen with my own eyes some of the things that go on in these religions and then the fact that we had accepted them as a church and that that horrified me because I, I knew I didn't live in like Western society. I lived in the more Caribbean society. And here in, in this island where I lived for 21 years, I saw, um, I saw how people lived, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I was horrified that these religions, and then that uh, our, our belief at the time as Catholics that uh, we always condemned the Protestants and hated them. You know, that was my culture in Harlem too. Mm-hmm. Intellectually, I understand that I'm a sinner before Holy God. I understand it's God's grace, nothing I can do. And, uh, and I understand that faith itself is a gift of God, like it mm-hmm. says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And um, I um, cried out to God and Amen. praised God, and then the Lord really changed me, and uh, I stopped, um, I had stopped not just only dr- drinking 
beer and rum but I stopped babbling. <laughs> and um, it is amazing as I've heard you tell your story in so many places um, it's it's the fact that all the rituals that you were doing as a priest and then as you shifted into false doctrine of Pentecostalism these doing the rituals of speaking in tongues it, it never worked. It never transformed. It, it, yeah, and that, that, that used to bother me too, you know, when, uh, um, again, when I worked in Trinidad, um, my first year was in Port of Spain, the main city. The second biggest city is San Fernando in Trinidad. But I worked more in the small, in the towns, like in San Gregandi my last seven years, and uh, Point of Pier uh, for previous seven and a half years, and Mayaro, a seaside um, resort um, mm -hmm. town where I, where I worked down there, Guayaguiari, uh, Claxton Bay, they're all small towns. And I knew people's individual lives, and here I see people babbling in tongues and living in adultery you know what I mean, or fornication and some of the young people we had in the choir you know they were mm -hmm. they were singing in the choir but they were also on drugs and into fornication and things and and I was aghast I said it's not just that the sacraments don't work but Pentecostalism somebody can be babbling and their life's still very immoral and I said this it really really physically upset me too because uh, um, we're, we're human creatures and our feelings can physically uh, and it, 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 it really literally turned in my stomach because uh, mm -hmm. this is who I am uh, um, like I was born Catholic as it were, you know, I mean, and uh, as the old saying is, born Catholic, die Catholic, and, and it's my culture, it's who I am, and, yeah. and how, can I, how can I give up who I am? This is, not, <laughs> this is not a religion, this is my identity, you know what I mean, and, and I, I can empathize with, <laughs> with people who, if you say, this is, this is who I am. Right. This is who my parents were, my grandparents, my grandparents. And what could be quite similar to modern-day Pentecostals and Charismatics with their identity in, as a Christian forms around speaking. I, I know, and, and, yeah, and, and, and then when you come to realize that this thing doesn't work. Exactly. It, it, it doesn't work. It, well, it works to deceive, and and, uh, deceive. and you, you can feel real good of it, you know what I mean? You were, you were there uh, with your hands out, speaking in tongues and giving a prophecy. A, a big lady had prophesied over me in King James English, you know, thus says the Lord, you shall be a great mediator between the Catholic Church and the Assemblies of God. God has called you to this holy office of being a mediator between the Assemblies of God and, and the Catholic Church. And she had prophesied over me. And then when I left the Catholic Church, they were aghast because their prophetess, one of the famous, I don't want to give the name, if anybody asks me I'll give it in <laughs> by email, <laughs> but it's uh, yeah. uh, it, it, you're depending on man's way, yeah. you say it's a, a prophecy, a word from God, and it's, it's, it's man's way, and this word of faith, name it and claim it, you know what I mean, we yeah. had people naming and claiming all sorts of things of course it never never came about and it was a it was a 
it was frightening me unreal and yeah. um, I, I just asked uh, like us to, to wake up and and to see the reality of these things because lives are at stake and you who are parents to think about if you're bringing your children up in this how are you deceiving them yeah you, it, it, it's a difficult world that we live in thank you for really sharing your heart on the topic and it um, it it bringing our our conversation back to you know the very early uh, days of this ecumenical movement it was obvious that the pentecostal and charismatic churches were instrumental in uniting Ro the roman catholic church with so-called protestantism and drawing people back towards rome and you know it's it's been many years now but it's extremely active today it's very alive and well in fact uh it was just uh, in 2014 that there was an enormous outreach in, uh, orchestrated by the Vatican in which um, Kenneth Copeland and his congregations did a live broadcast with, uh, ending with a special message to American Pentecostal and Charismatic churches directly from Pope Francis. That's something really, really special the Lord has blessed us with tonight. And uh, somebody I want to introduce to you. Brother Tony, come on up, would you please? And uh, Tony Palmer, some of you may know Tony. Tony and I go way back, but he's going he's gonna to be telling you the story. I asked him to come give his testimony, and he's got a special message for us tonight. So would you welcome Tony Palmer to this platform? Bishop, thank you, sir. Dear brothers and sisters, excuse me. because I speak in Italian, but I am not speaking English. But uh, I will speak uh, no Italian, no English, but carefully. È una lingua più semplice e più autentica. E questa lingua del cuore ha un linguaggio e una grammatica speciale. La grammatica semplice, due regole. Ama Dio soprattutto e ama l'altro perché il tuo fratello e la tua sorella. E con queste due cose andiamo avanti. Io sono qui con mio fratello, mio vescovo fratello Tony Palmer. Siamo amici da anni. E lui mi ha detto del vostro compegno, del vostro raduno. E vi chiedo anche un favore di pregare per me perché ho bisogno delle vostre preghiere. Io prego per voi, eh? lo farò, <ride> ma io ho bisogno delle vostre preghiere e pregare al Signore perché ci unisca tutti. E avanti, siamo fratelli, ci diamo spiritualmente questo abbraccio e lasciamo che il Signore finisca l'opera che Lui ha incominciato. Perché questo è un miracolo, il miracolo dell'unità è incominciato.
Glory, glory, glory. Tony, thank you, sir. Come on, the man asked us to pray for him. Oh, Father. Father, we, we answer his request. And since we know not how to pray for him as we ought other than to agree with him in his quest and in and his, his, his heart for the unity of the body of Christ. We come together in the unity of our faith. Hallelujah. So Father, we just, all of us now, according to scripture, when we know not how to pray as we ought, we pray for him in the spirit. We receive utterance in the Holy Ghost. We receive prayers of faith. We receive, sir, we receive words that are not our own. La del bluplumo meno teleaschepe. Se folo puma mama e tel clemine kido. Popolo maia tale indole come meste stelo clopai lebo le camana. Bramande che di popoma bles do boschire teleketo la campagna nena macloma hala larghero della veno. Bretto stesche manetelo. Carabana, carabana. Palo come un pole che tu colestindo le Oh, hallelujah. Now, heaven is thrilled over this. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. So this movement is still active today, and um, and it has also spread into other areas. It's not just the Pentecostals. As your ministry grew over the last 25 years, Richard, I've seen how you've addressed this as it came to uh, accords and things that were joint declarations of faith between different denominations. Uh, it continues in all areas of, of the Christian uh, church in America and around the world. Yeah, and it go, let's go back to the to the early days mm -hmm. in the in, um, in 1967, and when the when the charismatic movement was really beginning here in the United States, you know, at, 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 at Duquesne University, Notre Dame Catholic Universities, and uh, they were people were beginning to get into Pentecostalism. It was um, Pope Pius VI sent Cardinal Leo Sunans from Italy, from Rome, here to the United States to authenticate the fact that the Catholic charismatic movement is accepted in the Catholic Church and it is to be propagated. And so that was a, a big boast for Pentecostalism within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And it was like officially that the um, 
that there was to be a working together and uh, that was why and um, with the assemblies of God where uh, whereby um, things were going really well and mm-hmm. TBN Trinity Broadcasting you know, which has been known for <laughs> the right. horrendous things that it broadcast but they ac- accepted as Catholic priests um, uh, like Victor Alfonso they spoke uh, there and uh, others you know, who mm-hmm. were Catholic priests but after <laughs> they were saved by God's grace and had a story to tell how their lives were transformed yeah. uh, such as myself and people like Victor Alfonso and people like Bob Bush you know uh, they didn't want to hear anybody who's, who had left the Catholic Church mm-hmm. because they had come to biblical faith and uh, because they were closed they were just open to the, the rituals of, of the charismatic show that yeah. goes on and mm-hmm. speaking in tongues and being slain in the spirit and all of this sort of thing yeah. and uh, it, it, it break your heart Greg and it it, 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 uh, um, it it broke my heart because I knew um, some of these priests who had been in the in the charismatic movement with me mm-hmm. and I could see how their lives were disintegrating mm-hmm. and I would appeal to some of them I'd say you know there's um, I have seen how you get out of this. That this is this is binding your mind and your conscience. Uh, Richard, now that uh, we've we've really covered the topic of the charismatic and Pentecostal involvement in ecumenism, a lot of people have not studied Roman Catholicism that are in Christian churches today. You know, you yourself spent many years in it. I was raised in Roman uh, Catholic. Uh, system, so we're aware of the uh, complete differences between Catholic faith and what we've discovered as biblical faith. It's uh, most doctrines are almost 180 degrees opposite of true doctrine. So there is a danger that we clearly see. Um, is there a way that we can communicate to Christian people of the dangers of being involved uh, in this charismatic movement in its many forms? Um, Yes, um, it's uh, Christ Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. When you look at and analyze Pentecostalism and uh, when you analyze their, what they call their miracles, one of the well-known miracles was that a person's one foot was long, was shorter than the other, and they, they pray over the feet, and now they they get you to see that this person's feet were perfectly all right, and um, you begin to see that this is putting on a show. There's no reality to it, you know, and the and the, the uh, other signs and wonders. You see that. The, uh, they're not real, you know, and there's, somebody says that they have a word from God, a prophecy to give, and you see that um, it doesn't come to pass. You see that the thing does not deliver. What delivers is when we pray in Jesus' name, he's the one mediator. We do not have little mediators called prophets going around prophesying or working miracles. It's Christ is our mediator, mm-hmm. and we don't have any other mediators, mm-hmm. either big, charismatic, uh, big evangelical leaders who can 
draw you to Christ. It's Christ alone is the mediator. Mm-hmm. And when you see that the things keep people enslaved mm-hmm. and lives are not changed, you know what I mean? The, um, we produced there recently a new book that is setting really well on the wings of grace alone, uh, the testimonies of of, um, <laughs> of 30 former Catholics. The one is, is called the Carnal Catholic, and you read his testimony. Oh. He was utterly worldly, and he kept going to confession and kept going to <laughs> communion, get communion, and then back into his worldly style. And uh, yeah. uh, things didn't change. Mm. Um, A.J. Krauss did everything you could think of mm-hmm. and things didn't change. You know what I mean? You, could, you can jump through all these hoops and you don't, it doesn't get you anywhere. And at the end of the day, you don't have peace with God yeah. and your life has not been transformed and spiritually you're going nowhere. And if you stay on the Pentecostal track, it leads to Rome because mm-hmm. it's the Pentecostal churches that are the, the place where the Rome is, is accepted. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, um, it was in 1994 when Charles Colson and uh, Richard Newhouse um, began to, um, to bring in this evangelicals and Catholics together later in 1997, the second one of these documents. Uh, they purportedly had brothers and sisters in Christ, but they're not in Christ. Neither, <laughs> neither the Pentecostals nor the Catholics or the or the so-called evangelicals who who want to do it man's way, you know, um, or the, those who want salvation to be. Well, I accepted Jesus into my heart. I made my decision. <laughs> I put my stake in the ground, <laughs> and uh, I know that uh, I once saved, I'm always saved, and. It, it doesn't add up. It's God who saves in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's His gift. It's not of us. When you get beyond that ritualism and uh, evangelical ritualism, whereby you walk the aisle and sign the card, and the pastor tells you you're saved, and mm-hmm. put up your hand and receive Jesus into your heart, all of this tralala is just the same as the Catholic sacraments. Mm-hmm. Like, like I would say over people, I absolve you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you know, do the sign and uh, say the words and people's sins were supposed to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Uh, the words fell to the ground empty because it, it yeah. didn't do anything and these things don't do anything and it doesn't deliver. But when you trust on Christ and look to Him and look to the Father to give you grace, man, does it work. I had seen something and I knew that Rome depends on the cup, um, you know, the golden cup for, for the Mass and, and that, um, the, the gems and all that. Mm-hmm. The, each each uh, bishop had, had a pectoral cross with gems in it and I, I knew some of those other de- details and historically I knew that uh, she had drunk the blood of the saints. I knew mm-hmm. that from the Inquisition it was horrific history where the Catholic Church had uh, mm-hmm. people tortured yeah. and put to death for 605 years. Uh, later on, I made a video on that. That was, of course, many, many years after leaving right. Catholicism. And I didn't know all those details then, right. but I knew some of them. But then this was frightening. And yeah. it, it really is a reality. Um, is this 
the one that Paul spoke about in Second Thessalonians 2, the man of sin mm -hmm. sitting in the temple of God, calling himself God. What other religion is there that the man in charge calls himself the Holy Father? That's a title from God. Yeah. Sitting in the temple of God, calling himself God, the Holy Father, and calling himself mm -hmm. the Vicar of Christ. The Vicar of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Christ said he would send another advocate, yeah. another substitute. substitute. And yeah. it, it's the Holy Spirit. So who calls himself the Vicar of Christ or the Holy Father? Only the Pope. Yeah. And, he, and that's what Paul speaks about in Second Thessalonians 2. Read it for yourself. And mm -hmm. it's it's frightening. Yeah, it's it, it is frightening, and it's actually a, a, a warning um, to Christian people who are getting involved in an ecumenical system. That this is the reason why it's important, Richard, is because God has spoken on the subject. This is just not wild speculation, complaining about one denomination versus the other. The very written word of God addresses this issue, and I. I just wanted to take a moment to read from the Revelation uh, chapter 17, verses 3 through 6. And this is a vision that uh, the Apostle John was given by God. He says, So he carried me away in the spirit and into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names and blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her head, her forehead, was the name written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration and, you know, just as you saw this imagery in, in real life while you were in Rome, Richard, what the individual can do today, just if you go onto Google, go into the search engine and type in scarlet and purple and click images, and you will see exactly what Richard has saw back in 1962 at the very beginning of this massive ecumenical movement that is sweeping across the nation and the world. And... John also had a, a, a vision, it was a, it was a warning, it was a warning to people in chapter 18 verses 4 and 5 and John said, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of the plagues, for her sins have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. You know, this is the reason why we need to understand the ecumenical movement. It's not just a simple emotional thing that you want to do with your friends and colleagues involved in um, you know, large outreach events where churches unite. It is where this road is leading, and it's leading to judgment. And God is calling you as a Christian person to come out from among them. You do want to receive her plagues. Man, these guys are crazy. Um, they don't care about the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God. And, uh, man, I, I even saw an old video I made once of just mocking a person who was led by the Spirit. And, uh, and while my theology has changed over the years, I never, I never just 
repented of that and and came before God and said, I'm so sorry. These were your sons and daughters, and I just mocked them. And in my arrogance, thought that I was better than them and that I knew more than them. I'm not saying it's wrong to have theological differences because who knows who's right. And I'm not on the other side now mocking the other people. I'm just saying that there was an arrogance in me. There is an arrogance in me, and I hate it. There's times where I just feel like I know better, whether, whether it's with my theology or it's the way I practice ministry or whatever it is, I just know there's still just this gross, like, it's just like, like I can think better than you or I understand something better than you. And, and man, I just, I, I just was on my knees saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not like a, it's not like a little sin, you know, big deal. You know, you cause a little division, big deal. You talk people away from the gifts of the spirit, big deal. You, 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 you were young, you were this, you were that. No, sin is a big deal. Okay. And division in the body is a big, big deal. Okay, man, it's not okay. It's not okay. If I look at my children, I've got seven kids, man, I don't want any division in my family. Man, I don't, I don't like when, you know, my son mocks my daughter too much. I mean, a little bit's okay. You know, but it's like, hey, you're hurting her. You're hurting her. Knock that off. Like, as a dad, that's just, I don't want any division in my family. And I've been the cause of division. And again, I am not saying that, oh, my theology is right now or anything else. I'm just saying my heart has not been right. I have been arrogant. I am so arrogant. God, I just want that out of my life. Man, because it's not, unless we repent of this, you know, thinking we're like superior in our intelligence to someone else. There's things, because we don't, we don't get the love of God. The Bible says, Ephesians 3, that, that, that he wants us to be rooted, grounded in this love of Christ. He goes, but it's, it's, it's to know the love of Christ that's beyond knowing. Can you understand that? He says that he wants, he falls on his knees saying, God, I want these people to know, to know inside in their inner man, the love of Christ, which is beyond knowing. It's beyond knowledge. It's not something that someone just, that I can tell you right now, well, here's what God did. And your brain just kind of goes, okay, I believe it. No, the Bible says it's beyond knowing. It's like something that God does. That's why when Peter finally got it, Jesus even said to him, look, flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. Heaven had to reveal that to you. Like we don't just understand the love of God and accept it and know the love of God because of just study. Absolutely, it's through the gospel, but it's not just this thinking. One person talked you into believing and now your mind believes it. He says, no, it's beyond knowing. And that's why Paul's on his knees and saying, God, I'm praying. I'm praying that they would know the love of God that is beyond knowing that they may be filled with the knowledge, with the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. See, there are things that God has to reveal to us that are deeper than thinking. And until we repent of our arrogance and thinking we're so intelligent and we just know more than the next guy. 
man, I think there's just a block in that arrogance. The Bible says he dwells in this high and holy place and also with him who is lowly and contrite in spirit. Okay, so you don't see baptism as essential at all. I think it is very, very important. But I can't see condemning to hell all the men and women who have lived since Christ on continents that never even heard of Jesus because nobody preached to them. And that I don't feel comfortable with that. When Paul says in Romans, where sin did abound, grace did more abound. Mm -hmm. uh, Does that mean other religions such as Islam? Sure. And uh, that worship Allah? Uh, they, since they haven't heard about Christ, they would still go to heaven? Yeah. Pagan uh, pagan worshipers also, that worship idols and stuff like that, that haven't heard about Christ? They would go that are living in good faith. To their idols? To whatever. So now, so you, make, you make an excellent point, Larry, on, on the idea that faith is a gift of God. And I think that's the door to the ecumenical chaos exactly. that we are faced with today. What does true faith find? And what does the faith given by God find? Well, in the ecumenical movement that's afoot today and pretty much swallowing up the Western world, the modern ecumenist says true faith finds that the Roman Catholic religion is one avenue to God. Um, maybe fundamental Christianity is another avenue to God. Maybe those uh, who are involved in the more liberal denominations of the world, they too have an, a way to God. So we've got this idea that true faith believes in the brotherhood of man and the fatherhood of God, and we're all more or less on our way to heaven, only we have different ways of expressing it. It's sort of like a universalism. That's, yeah, that's what true faith finds for them, okay? Mm -hmm. Now, what that does is it turns the Bible upside down and backwards. For you to make those kinds of statements, you have to excuse yourself from the revelation of God because you can't possibly back that up or prove that from the Word of God. Mm -hmm. So the ecumenical movement can't take the Word of God seriously. Mm -hmm. It can take sentiments from the Word of God. It can take passages that deal with the nobility of mankind and so forth and so on. And a God, when you a get God, a man being made an image of God, it can take these things, but it can't take the gospel. But when you when you come up with a verse like John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Yeah, it's they take the except by me. True faith, they say, finds the except by me is thank you, Lord, for the sacraments that you've given to us, so that we can find you. Except by me means thank you, Lord. For you are a shining light in the darkness, and your example tells us if we follow your example, we can make it. The except by me, true faith, they say, finds that Jesus was a noble martyr, marching onward for a cause 
that man can emulate. So in other words, so, they fall exactly into the trap Peter talked about in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, where he says, some things that Paul has written, some epistles are hard to understand, which the unstable twist and to their own destruction. Yeah, yeah. So they're, they're falling right into that because they're not looking at the Bible hermeneutically right. to take it for what it's actually trying to say, but yeah. they're twisting it yeah. to try to make it say something that's not saying, but to fit into their ecumenical doctrine right. of this unity of all these different religions. No man goes to the Father except by me. <laughs> all right. We're not disagreeing with you. We have Jesus. We've got him. Mormons have Jesus. JWs have Jesus. Catholics have Jesus. The Muslims have Jesus in some sense. So they just simply expand what it means by me or through me, and, and then he becomes a wax nose and, to be shaped anyway. That's right. Completely forgetting, I believe the scripture verse is 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4 of my memory. Here's, here's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Another Jesus. Uh, verse 4. See if I can find it here real quick. Yeah, here it is. Okay. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know how they complicate everything from yeah. the scripture like John uh, 14, 6. So we, right. were, they totally complicated that right. to try to get out of what it was simply saying. Yeah. In verse, verse 4. For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which we have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well hear with him. So he's condemning them for accepting another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And if you can do that, well, then the sky's limit. You can just believe anything you want. That's right. And, and that's, that's essentially where we are. We are at that point, I think, in this nation where the, the, the uh, we'll get in, uh, into the evangelicals in a minute and what yeah. they've done. But in our nation, it's if you can walk, chew gum, and say Jesus, you're going to heaven. Because it's the Jesus of your own making, the Jesus of your imagination, who you want Jesus to be, the kind of Jesus that you can appreciate, the kind of Jesus you can put in your back pocket, the kind of Jesus you can carry around with you. It's a false idol. It's a false idol by the name of Jesus. Yeah. And, and so when you separate Jesus from the revelation of Jesus in mm -hmm. the New Testament, and then you set him up on your dresser, he becomes a Jesus of your own making, does he not? Yes. And he becomes an idol to be worshipped, does he not? Mm -hmm. So it's a, it, you are infatuated uh, with a Jesus of your own imagination. So we say to Rome, you've got Jesus all over the place, hanging on a cross from every rosary and big time in your buildings, mm -hmm. but it's not the Jesus of Scripture. It's not the Jesus of it's God's right. revelation. It's a, it's a fake Jesus. It's a fake And Roman Catholics just whistle at this, and they say, who do you think you are telling us who Jesus is and what he has come to do and what, he, what we should do? You know do, what's interesting, too, is, is uh, and of course, we've got a playlist on our YouTube channel page, See Answers TV, that covers the occult, UFOs, spiritism, mm -hmm. Satan, you know, demonic activity. Yep. You'll be amazed when you study, uh, you know, the occult. Yeah. How many people who are supposedly in communication with these uh, avatars and, and spirit guides, right. how many of these spirit guides say their name is Jesus? 
<laughs> it's it's kind of quite interesting about that when you study the, yeah. uh, the occult. Yeah. Uh, the demonic forces love to use the name Jesus right. and make people think they're talking to Jesus. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just a fake Jesus the demons are using. So Christian, uh, Christians historically have been men and women of the book. Mm-hmm. And it's a tough book. Mm-hmm. It is not, and you know, understand what I'm saying by that. To be a responsible Bible expositor, to be a responsible exegete of the scriptures, to take the scriptures as a whole and to study them and put them together and to harmonize the passages, to harmonize the message, to let God's revelation emerge and then to live it out in your life. That is not a one-night stand, brother. This is ongoing and it's, uh, it's fruitful and it's rewarding, but it's also absolutely necessary. Right. Because... Uh, as what's the motto of uh, your your ministry again? Out of uh, second, is it Second Peter? Oh, First Peter, three fifteen, which says, "Every man an answer." Yes, you know, give every man an answer that lies within. How are you going to do this mm. unless you are a man or a woman of the book? Right. You can make up answers, or you can pull things. And that's what Jesus said was yeah. important. Yeah. This Word of God is yeah. what you go by. Right. And people aren't doing it. They're trading it for every kind of other thing there is. Right. Now, we're starting to get low on time here in the yeah. show, and I want to cut to the chase, right. which I mentioned would come up pretty fast, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, all right. Go ahead. Uh, basically, in Roman Catholicism, they, they start out with a sacrament of baptism, and I mentioned it before, right. that that's how you be, get born again. But yeah. really, to cut to the chase of this, we're talking not about a physical act of sprinkling the water on some baby's head. Right. You become a Christian right. by a supernatural act of God, right. where God indwells you with His Holy Spirit, like it says in First Corinthians chapter right. six, verses nineteen right. through and twenty, it says that our bodies have become the temple right. of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And Jesus said in in those passages there, I think it was John chapter fourteen and so forth about sending the Comforter. Right. So what we're talking about is a supernatural act of God in the heart of some lost sinner, right. where he is regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, right. and he becomes. A child of God right. reminds me of Acts chapter thirteen, verse forty-eight, uh, where those that were ordained to eternal life yeah. believed. Right, and and then it becomes a question of if, if that does happen to a person, what does the person look like after that happens? What what does the person believe after that happens? What are his priorities? What what his his base of operation? What is his worldview? So forth and so on, and and. As we study Scripture and we see what God does inside of people, the sanctification process, the elimination of the the desires to sin and sin continually in a person's mm-hmm. life, the 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 uh, desire to worship, the desire to pray, the desire to get to know God through His Word, mm-hmm. all of that comes it, from that comes supernatural from, act of the power of the right, Holy Spirit. Right, and see, this right. is what everybody's missing in yeah. this ecumenical chaos. Yeah. They're missing this because Jesus right away refutes that whole ecumenical idea when he says in John chapter 6, remember he lost most of his disciples. Yeah. He even had to ask his 12, are you going to leave me too? Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, in John 6, he's saying, look, no man can come to me. Right unless it is given of the, by the Father. Right. And he says it twice in that yeah, chapter. Yeah. Now that's hard doctrine. Right. All that the Father gives me. If, if God wants everybody, 
he would never say that. Right. <laughs> you see, that's hard doctrine. Right. And and so to to expand on that, all that are given by the Father will come. But my question is, what will those given by the Father believe, and what will they do with their lives? You see, Roman Catholics say we're given by the Father. We're given to Jesus by the Father. A Mormon might say. I'm given to Jesus by the Father. Of course, I'm given to Jesus by the Father. Well, a Jehovah Witness will come up your driveway and say, we are given by the Father. In fact, we're one of the very few who are given by the Father. <laughs> we are given by the Father. Mm -hmm. And then you have to constantly say, look, if you were given by the Father, this is what you would say, what you would believe, this would be a worldview, and this is what you'd be holding on to. And you're not doing any of that. So you're not given by the Father. I don't care what you say, you're not given by the Father. And we take them to the Word. That's and we right. take them to the Word. Over and over again, we take them to the Word. And in, in doing this, Larry, it creates all this friction. Friction. It does. Friction, because people want to believe that they are given by the Father to the, that they are in fact Christian, okay? Mm -hmm. But they don't, they don't exhibit the belief of the Christian. What I tell a lot of these people that deceive themselves like that, yeah. you know, they they're they're twisting the Scripture to their own destruction, as yeah. we already discussed. A lot of times, I, in fact, I even went into a Christian Science reading room one time and talked to a nice little old lady in mm -hmm. there. Who's telling me God is everybody? Everybody's God. Everybody's yeah. Christ, right. and all all that. And I said, oh, oh, "Is that right?" Well, uh, she had a Bible there in in the Christian Science Reader, so I picked it up and I opened it up to this passage. It says in Second Thessalonians chapter two, starting in uh, verse nine, it says, "Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders." and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Verse 11, And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned, who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so I told her, well, if, if everything's God, then God's actually deceiving us, so we'll be damned. How does that work into your theology? Right. And, of course, that stopped her in her tracks, yeah. and she didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And then I just sat there for another 10 or 15 minutes till she kicked me out, yeah. uh, bringing up more Scripture verses she didn't believe in or accept. Yeah. But see, right here in the Word of God, all these people, like you were just now saying, the Mormons, oh, I, I have faith, I believe this. Well, well yeah, but what if God's deceiving you? Right. If you're deceived by God, then there's no hope for you anyway. You're not going to believe. Romans chapter 1, God turns people over to a reprobate mind. If you refuse to believe this truth, which is only found here in this Bible, then what is God going to do to you? Yeah. He's going he's gonna, to, you know, you got, I just read it. <laughs> and, now, and of course, the hard part is, is to try to get people into the Word to right. show them that what they're believing is in fact a bogus belief. Right. That that is nearly impossible today because for every guy like you, Larry, who is saying this is a cult, this is a cult, this is a cult. <laughs> yeah, we got nineteen playlists. This is a cult. This is a cult. <laughs> they're going back to their they're going back to their religious leaders. 
<laughs> and they're saying we got another we got another wacko in Waco. Uh -huh. I mean, basically they're saying this guy says we're a cult, and he's got all these videos up there, and he wants us to look at. And they go, oh man, you know, they're they're all kinds of freaks out in the world. You know, you're safe with us. Mm. And and it's not just the cults who do this. Mm. If no. you if you went to the Archbishop of Canterbury, if you went to the Church of England today, and mm. you said to the the uh, the governing body of the Church of England, y'all have made a terrible mistake. You have endorsed Rome, mm -hmm. and you are moving slowly but inexorably back toward Rome. And you now accept them as brothers and sisters in Christ. You now accept their baptisms as, val as, uh, as valid baptism. You now accept the Pope at Rome as the vicar of Christ on earth. You do this now. This is a terrible mistake. Rome, it's another gospel. It's, it's not even Christian, it's Antichrist. Their belief system, their practice system, their proclamations about Jesus and God and sin and heaven and hell and so forth, it's all wrong. And you're, you're in there with them. You're in bed with them. What do you think that'd say to you? Another wacko from Waco. And, and the, the, the most, we were almost out of time in this yeah. show. I want to get this last point in. Yeah. We're dealing, we've got five minutes left. Uh, I want to get this point in pertaining to what you're just saying and then all these so-called evangelicals, for one thing, in fact, we've got a video up on YouTube called 87% of so-called evangelicals do not know what the gospel is and do not know what justification is. Yeah. 87%. Yeah. Okay, you throw, that, you throw that statistic into evangelicalism. Yeah. You don't, that also tells you probably 87% of them aren't real born-again Christians either. <laughs> so that's one reason they can get in bed with Roman Catholicism, because yeah. they don't have the spirit to begin with. Yeah. Okay, the next, the next factor in, in, involved with that is you have uh, all these evangelicals that uh, think uh, along the lines of people like John Wesley, mm -hmm. Charles Finney. John Wesley was big into Roman Catholic mystics, and he himself claimed to be an honest heathen, and he was never a, a real Christian. And this is late in his life. This is what he himself said of himself, mm. not just a couple of years before he died. Mm. He had said it earlier in his career, but then he said he had this, he was strangely warm. But then later he's saying the same thing again. Mm. I, was, I was never, I don't even know this relation with God. So here's... And, and he believed in a lot of this per Christian perfectionism and all that stuff that, you know, that we've heard about. And then you've got Charles Finney, right. who was an outright Pelagian. Right. He denied original sin. Right. Now, we've only got a few minutes left. So um, tie that in with 80%, 87% of evangelicals do not know what uh, the justification is or the gospel. Yeah. And that these evangelicals are heavily influenced by Wesley and Pelagian Finney. Yeah. Now, for the audience, tell us a little bit more about Pelagianism. Yeah. And, and Wesley, who was more like a, a works righteous uh, Arminian. Yeah. I had not heard that about John Wesley, by the way. I had not heard that. Yeah, we he have had, a video. He had, he had made that. Uh, we have a video on, on YouTube that anyone wants to look at. It's got over 20,000 hits mm. while we're sitting here. Yeah. Uh, and it's all documented. That's just This is from Wesley himself. Yeah, that's just fine. So these well, are the heroes the, the, of the evangelicals, Wesley and Finney. Well, Wesley, Finney, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, 
Luis Palau, there are many of them, uh, Larry, as you know. And, and the idea goes back to one central thought, okay? And if I could summarize the central thought, it's this. There, there has been and always been a stream within the idea of Christianity that man controls his own destiny mm-hmm. and that it is all up to man and that, that, that faith is indigenous to mankind. He can exercise faith anytime he wants to and when he does, God is responsible and obligated to save him. But it's always up to man. Man, if he so chooses God, can have God. He can have God today, tomorrow, the next day, it doesn't matter. It's up to him. It resides in him. He doesn't have to be supernaturally born again to believe. He has everything requisite within him, within his nature, within his power, within his will. He's free to believe. Uh, Roman Catholics believe this. Uh, The Arminian theologians believe this. The Pelagian theologians believe this, and uh, many, many of the evangelicals today are 100% committed to the proposition that salvation resides in the hands of man, that God has done all that he can. Billy Graham is famous for his famous statement, God is for you, the devil is against you, it's up to you to decide. He's, by okay. the way, the one that says you God does 99.9 and you do point zero one. Right, right. Anyway. And, 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 and of course, that's, that's modern history. Mm-hmm. Historically, and according to uh, the theologians of the great Protestant Reformation, and, and uh, going all the way back to Augustine, no such teaching was ever available to the Christian community. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much sentiment there was for it among them. There must have been some, but... Uh, certainly, the Bible doesn't present this picture. The Bible presents the picture that that God saves sovereignly, and man is saved by a supernatural work of God working on the heart of man. And this grace, which we call irresistible grace or efficacious grace, is given by God to His elect, Amen. and they will come to faith. And this is what the faith will look like. It will be a fruit-bearing. Uh, it, w- it will be a fruit-producing uh, uh, faith that changes the man's worldview, his demeanor, his his uh, uh, his priorities. His whole life is right. changed by this. You see, and so, if you don't believe this, then it's possible that you have all kinds of people out there claiming to be Christians. I'm a Christian. Right. What makes you think so? Well, I walked the aisle. I prayed the prayer. You I got, got baptized. I, I got baptized. <laughs> How can I not be a Christian? Well, you cannot be a Christian if your life doesn't evidence it. And the evidences that we are talking about are not esoteric. They're not complicated. And it's caused by a supernatural oh, oh. act. But we're out yeah. of time now, well, brother. The, yeah, the, but basically, the the big the the big divide. The big divide is. Supernatural act of God, right? Based See, upon the depravity of man, depravity, right? Because man, man is, is so depraved, depraved in the sin, he won't come to the real God. Inability. So God man. has to, right? God yeah. has to drag him, as it yeah. says in John chapter yeah. six, drag yeah. him to the sun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's the problem. 
in this ecumenical chaos. You're dealing with people that don't believe in the, the true sovereignty of God. Yeah. And they think man can do it. Right. When that's not the case at all. Right. There, uh, Second Thessalonians, I mean, Second Timothy, chapter two, verse twenty-four through twenty-six says that if God perhaps grants right. repentance, leading to acknowledgement of the truth, that they may escape themselves of the devil, being the snare of the devil, being held captive right. by him to do as well. In other words, the Scripture says, unless God Grant. grants you repentance, right. you're in the snare of the devil. Yeah. And you can believe you're a Christian all day long, yeah. but that doesn't change the facts. But anyway, it's the supernatural act of God. There is much to be learned from the video clip that surfaced a couple days ago from Francis Chan. Now, I don't, I've never met Francis Chan. My understanding is Francis Chan is a graduate of Master Seminary. So what? So what? I, I don't understand why it is that there are still so many people that go, well, he went to such and such an institution, therefore, therefore what? What does that mean? Well, he should know this, that, that. Well, look, let's say you go to the best seminary on the planet, most balanced, best professors. The fact is you're going to get out of that experience what you bring into it. There are people that can skate through, there are people who are going to be so distracted with other things, they're only going to get a partial understanding of what they're being taught. They may still pass, but it, it may not stick. I mean, it, most of it depends upon the person, what their specific situation was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The, the idea that where you go determines your scholarship is just, we've got to get rid of this idea, folks. I mean, we are still honoring graduates of Princeton, why? All of the Ivy League schools, all the big schools, have become ideological brainwashing centers. They're not places where you're taught how to think. They're places where you're taught what to think. So, back to Francis Chan, just because he went to a good seminary uh, doesn't mean anything. Um, you can have a good education, and then the things that happen to you afterwards cause you to uh, move away from that, to move away from where you once were. And that can be a purposeful move on your part. It can be something you don't even realize is happening. Um, there's, there's lots of different forces that can be behind all of that. So we've got a short clip to listen to. I want it to be educational for us because these are important issues. Taking of the body and blood of Christ somehow in some real way. Now, what's really funny is he's standing outside casually dressed with a music stand and a microphone. And I can see a, a guitar or something case in the background and a door and a plain wall. So this is not what I would call a liturgical setting, <laughs> okay? Uh, th this is about as cash as you're going to get. Uh, but the whole thing is going to be about the uh, body and blood of Christ, and that's what he's starting off about taking of the body and blood of Christ somehow in some real way. Again, I'm not making any like grand statements. I'm just saying I some of the stuff I didn't know. I didn't know that for the first 1500 years of church history, everyone saw it as the literal body and blood of Christ. Okay, that's just simply a wildly false statement. <laughs> I mean... I you, 
Okay. I don't know Francis Champ. I don't know if he slept through church history class. I don't know if his church history class actually went through a discussion of what the difference between transubstantiation or real presence is, or what real presence would have would have even been interpreted. Does he understand the influence of Aristotelian categories of accidents and presence, accidents and substance, sorry, uh, in the development of the doctrine of transubstantiation after 1080? Does he, does he even know um, the development of the Pix monstrance and uh, um, Saborium and Tabernacle in uh, the late, the early medieval period within Roman Catholicism, does he know that in the early church that consecrated hosts were not kept and were not worshipped? That was a development that comes along at a later point in time. Has he has he read meaningful documentation that demonstrates the differences of opinion that existed? Um, between people like Fulgentius or, or Cyril, uh, Alexandria or Caesarea, there, there's, there's so many. Anybody who makes this kind of statement is reading a very narrow band of literature that is meant to produce conversion. It's not serious history. But how many Christians have read serious history upon this? I mean, it is, I was an unusual seminary graduate because I was already involved in apologetics. I was already involved in apologetics. I was already doing um, debates. Well, no. I actually got my, I graduated from Fuller in 89, and I did the first debate in 90. So, but we were already doing the trips up to Salt Lake City, so I, I already was engaged with Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, and Jehovah's Witnesses. So I already knew the importance of church history to all of this stuff. But the vast majority of seminary graduates, the vast majority of master's seminary graduates, are not going to have any reason while in seminary to be looking carefully at that assertion. That is, what was there a universal belief for 1,500 years? Let's ignore Gottschalk, and let's ignore Augustine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> ignore Augustine, that's the end of that. Um, there's, you know, Augustine taught directly that the church has been deprived of the physical presence of Christ. So you've got to understand his Eucharistic doctrine within that context. They were not Aristotelians. A spiritual presence of Christ would be just as real to major portions of the early church, would be more real than a physical presence would be. So there's just, it, it is childishly simplistic to make this kind of statement, but I don't know that Francis Chan knows any better. I don't know who speaks into his life. I don't, I, I don't know. But I'm just here to tell you, there is, there is so much wrong with that statement that you why are you making it you know when you when you repeat that kind of thing then you you end up leading misleading others in in that kind of a assertion and it wasn't until 500 years ago that someone popularized a thought that it's just a symbol and nothing more okay that's that is not even that's not even an accurate representation of Zwingli's view because 
uh, Zwingli, uh, again, um, take a look at the Marburg Colloquy. Take a look at any serious discussion amongst the reformers. Uh, at Marburg, they agreed on 14 out of 15 points. This was the one point, or was it 13 out of 14? Uh, this is the one point that they couldn't get to. Um, and you read the actual reports from the discussion, and you recognize that, that Zwingli actually convinced a number of people of his position, but to reduce even Zwingli's memorialist position to nothing more is to do him injustice and to not be being honest with history. Um, and certainly it sounds like what he's saying is that this is what all the reformers believed. It's not what Calvin believed. It's not what Farrell believed. It's, it's not... It, Ocolampadius, and we can just we can go down the road and demonstrate that a bare memorialism, which does exist in many evangelical churches today, is not what the reformers believed. And the, I have criticized not so much on this program, because I don't think it's necessarily the function of this program to do this, but I am on record criticizing the evangelical de-emphasis of the Supper long before Francis Chan videos popped up saying something like this. And in fact, if you want clear evidence of that, um, at the end of 2019, the last about four or five, about four times, I think it was four or five, I forget how many it was, four or five times I preached at Apologia Church. What did I preach on? The Lord's Supper. And I preached specifically first on the biblical teaching from Matthew and 1 Corinthians, primarily. Um, and then I went straight through the chapter in the London Baptist Confession of Faith on the Lord's Supper. And if Francis Chan has ever read the London Baptist Confession of Faith on the Lord's Supper, he could never stand there and say what he just said, as if you've either got the 1500 years of the ancient church all agreed, they didn't, and now Protestantism, and it's nothing more than a mere memorial, and they all agree, which they don't. Um, I have criticized the de-emphasis in evangelicalism on the supper. I've criticized when it's simply made something you do out of tradition once a quarter without any explanation of its importance, its meaning, um, anything along those lines whatsoever. Um, I obviously believe that the local body has the right to determine frequency of observation, issues along those lines. I fully understand the people who, for example, do it once a month and say that weekly is too often. And I hope that those people understand the arguments of people that would say, no, it needs to be done weekly. Um, I mean, there's certainly an apostolic argument to be made from that. Pretty obvious in the New Testament it was done weekly. 
but that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be done that way today. I understand what the arguments are. The issue is it has to be taken seriously as one of the two ordinances of the church commanded by the Lord Jesus himself. Almost all of our statements of faith, if we have a statement of faith even long enough to cover it, almost all of our statements of faith make that statement. Baptism and the Lord's Supper need to be understood, need to be seen as central, need to be seen as identifying us. Extremely important stuff. Um, So if Francis Chan's experience... See, what happens is when you get an evangelical... Man, I'm really going long on this. I've gotten through 30 seconds of what the guy said. Uh, When you have an ahistorical evangelicalism of whatever form, fundamentalistic, whatever, whatever your eschatology, etc., etc., when you get disconnected from history, then you become liable to discovering that there were other perspectives in the past that you've never seen before. And if you're already somewhat dissatisfied with your current experience, all of a sudden, ooh, that looks neat. That looks cool. You see, we actually set our people up for this kind of conversion syndrome when we don't. See, uh, the, the mindset from a lot of people, I, had, I, was, taught, I was told this, when, when in, especially in, toward the end of my Bible college years in the seminary, when I started realizing just how much broader things were than what I had thought, I had a lot of people tell me, you know, just don't, don't talk about that kind of stuff. That can unsettle people. Well, there's a cost for not unsettling people in the context of faith. Because, you know, just ask Jehovah's Witnesses. Back years ago, they could control all the in and the out. All the in and the out. Then television came along. And then videotapes came along. And then the internet came along. And now they can't control that. And that has fundamentally changed. They've lost millions, millions with an M of people because their entire system was based on the ability to control all the information going in and out. Can't do that. And we can't do that either. Um, So if we don't place if, if if we do not lead our people to be satisfied with where they are in the choices they've made and the place where they stand confessionally knowledgeably knowing what the arguments are for pedobaptism knowing what the arguments are uh, for differing forms of church government Knowing what, knowing the best Rome argues, not just the worst, not just the twisted, but the best they have to argue. Make them to be a intelligent, knowing, confessional people, rather than just people who are afraid to hear any other perspective because it might be different enough that they might go, oh. If they're used to listening to other perspectives and critically analyzing them and remaining firm, that's one thing. But if they've never done that, they hear another perspective, you know, if the pastor was mean to him last week, they might go, hey, I'm, I'm going to throw all this stuff out and go this direction. 
That's what the emergent church was. The emergent church movement was simply fundamentalists going, I'm tired of all this. Throw, throw the, the baby and the bathwater out. Let's put everything back out on the table. The Bible is the word of God, the Trinity, the cross. Let's put it all out there and rethink everything. That's what the emergent church was about, which is why it died as well. Uh, but that's what it was about. Some of you have never even heard of the emergent church. It's already pretty much dead. But it was a big thing, you know, 15 years ago. So all this to say we, we have to, we have to, educate our people properly to appreciate truth uh, and to be able to analyze these things in an appropriate fashion. I didn't know that. I thought, wow, well, that's something to consider. Um, and and I, while I won't make a strong statement, I will make a statement about this. By the way, saying that everyone for 1,500 years believed X, when you're wrong about that, is a strong statement. <laughs> you might, if you're, if you're trying to say, I'm not going to make strong statements, you already are. Uh, you already are, and, and you're in error about it. It was at that same time that for the first time, someone put a pulpit in the front of the gathering. Because before that, it was always the body and blood of Christ. That so what's, what's he, what he's saying is... Um, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Let, let me, let me see if he, if he made, there was a statement he made. Let me back it up just a second. Body and blood of Christ that was central to their gatherings. For 1,500 years, it was never one guy and his pulpit being the center of the church. There it was. Okay. One guy and his pulpit. Okay. I don't know if... It, Less than 1% of the audience today, less than 1% of the audience today um, will remember, what was that guy's name? Oh, anyway, I, I think we covered it at Radio Free Geneva. The guy was a rabid anti-Calvinist. Rabid, and I mean rabid. Not rabbit, rabid. Anti-Calvinist. And... He came out with a video about how bad R.C. Sproul was because at R.C. Sproul's church, which R.C. designed, the pulpit was not in the center. If I recall, it's on from the, from the pulpit side, it's on the right-hand side. Um, from the people's side, I think it's on, on the left-hand side, if I recall correctly. Now, if you go into, uh, for example, I was just in the cathedral in Parramatta down outside of Sydney in Australia, and most, if okay, look at the um, look at the videos from the Anglican Church that we've done two or three debates in in Durban, South Africa. You'll see the same thing there. The ones with uh, Yusuf Ismail you'll see two pulpits. One is generally on, generally on the left is where the preaching is done from, the one on the right is where readings are done from, generally. Um, if you look at the church, I think it was also, was that Australia? Oh, man, which trip was that? Anyways, I did a, um, 
I did some videos with some guys. Where was I? I know it was overseas. But I'm, I'm not thinking it was Australia. I'm thinking it was somewhere in Europe. Anyway, um, we recorded in a small church. But again, I was on the right, from the audience side, I was on the right-hand side. And the pulpit was on the left-hand side. But there was a lectern on the right-hand side. And so, so there's, what this demonstrates, to me anyways, is Francis Chan hasn't been around a whole lot. Um, to, to realize that that's not a universal type thing. Um, secondly, when you say for 1500 years, again, Christians couldn't even build churches until sometime in the second century, then only rarely, there was no absolute consistency of um, architecture of anything that we can even safely assume was built to be a Christian church until after the time of Constantine. And what you do need to recognize is that there was a massive shift in the Reformation that reflects the early church. There is a reason why John Chrysostom was called John Chrysostom. You know what John Chrysostom means? Chrysostom means golden mouth, golden tongue, golden mouth. Um, he was a preacher. And that meant oral preaching. And there were a number of men in the early church that were known for that. But something major happened. If you know something about church history, this is again where... Got to learn church history, people. There was um, something called the fall of Rome. And with the end of the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, travel became much more difficult. When you have a peaceful period uh, with great control, as you had under the Romans, you had a large amount of freedom. And hence, you had freedom of travel. Hence, freedom of commerce, education, literature. When Rome falls, travel becomes extremely dangerous and rare. So much so that by the medieval period, by 1100, the average person in Europe never travels more than seven miles any one direction from where they are born. Their experience of the world is extremely small. And this is why they envisioned the biblical stories, when you see them painting about David, he's riding a horse in armor with his knights, because that's all they knew. They had never been to the Holy Land. They never knew anyone who had been to the Holy Land. The Crusades started changing some of that when people would actually come back and say, hey, things are a lot different over there. But the point is that with the fall of Rome, you enter into a period of time where literacy declines greatly, and learning declines greatly. Then you have, only two centuries later, the rise of Islam and the loss of major Christian centers. Carthage, North Africa, which had been Christian areas, are no longer Christian areas, at least as far as the majority of the people there. So, this 
does bring a fundamental change to Christian worship. Well, there's numerous things that bring fundamental change to Christian worship. These are external things that make a fundamental change. The rise of a concept of an external tradition makes a huge difference. The rise of allegorical interpretation shuts out the Old Testament from having any meaningful impact upon the development of Christian theology in many instances. Um, and you put all this together, and by the, the lowest point of the medieval period, the proclamation of the gospel has become a minor side element being done by a rather unlearned man to even more unlearned men, which gave rise to the stained glass window. That, those were ways of communicating the gospel story. Because you're talking to people who can't read. They don't have the scriptures. They're not encouraged to have the scriptures any longer. That is controlled by the church. It's in a language that most people can't read. Remember what happened to Wycliffe when he wanted to translate the Bible into, into English? A vulgar tongue? They eventually dug up his bones, burned him, and threw him into the River Swift. So, you have all sorts of contextual issues. Um, the, the rise of tradition, the diminishment of the centrality of the preaching of the gospel, the issue of illiteracy, um, all of these things do lead in the Reformation to a radical change. Following after Wycliffe and Hus. Luther has a massive emphasis upon the provision of the scriptures in the language of the people to the people and the centrality of the preaching of the whole counsel of God from scripture. You can thank Luther for that. Now, Luther does not, as a result, have a diminishment of the importance of the supper. But there is a refocusing away from the massive abuses of the altar that especially became introduced at the Fourth Lateran Council in 1215. But 200 years before that, with the rise of the doctrine of transubstantiation, you do have a much-needed correction in the refocusing upon the preaching of the Scriptures and the Word of God. But this is a simplistic, oh, Everybody back then, it was the body and blood that was the center. No, it was the priest. I mean, if you really knew Roman Catholic theology in the period prior to the Reformation, then you would know the focus was on the priest. The people didn't even get to partake except of, of the bread. The wine had been removed from them because of the doctrine of transubstantiation. It was too easy to spill God. The priest was partaking in the, in, the, in the wine in the part of the people as their representative up at the altar where an altar Christus was making Christ present upon the altar as a representation, an unbloody sacrifice. That's what had developed by the time of the Reformation. And that is a, that is a blasphemy against the finished work of Christ. It truly is. Remains that way. Now, the irony today, I 
don't see how Francis could actually believe that. I don't think he has the worldview to actually believe what historic Orthodox Roman Catholicism actually teaches about what he himself is doing when he holds up that, that wafer. That's another fascinating thing. What? John Modine. 2006. John Modine. Man, I remember. <laughs> I remember him. Oh, wow. That was a fire breather. Whew. So just look up John Modine on our... Uh, J-O-N. John Modine. You, you'll, you'll find the old... Were we even videotaping back then? No, we weren't videotaping back then. So it's just audio, but you can... I think we did a Radio Free Geneva. Yeah, I think it was Radio Free Geneva. But anyway, yeah, John Modine. He was going after R.C. Sproul because of where you put the pulpit. Not what's preached from the pulpit. Pulpit has to be in the center. Okay, then, you know, if... But is that really Francis Chan's universal experience? He wasn't in John Modine's circles. Um, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so. This is only a three-minute class. <laughs> this is going to take you forever to edit this one. <laughs> Sorry about that. It was the body and blood of Christ. And even the leaders just saw themselves as partakers. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. You do not understand Alter Christus. You do not understand Roman Catholic Eucharistic uh, theology here at all. Because, because again, if, if this guy is going toward Eastern Orthodoxy, that's a different thing, but he's the one who introduced the Reformation as a dividing line. And from the Eastern Orthodox perspective, that's just the division between all the people that split off from the true church anyways. So, oh man, we're not worthy, we're not worthy, we're not worthy. I say that because the church is more divided than any time in history. What does this book tell us clearly? That he does not want any divisions in his church. And for... A th okay, you ready? You ready for, you ready for the big numbers? Because we've, we've been hearing this forever. Thousand years, there was just one church. Did you know that? We're so used to growing up in a time when literally there are over 30,000 Christian denominations right now. There you go. So not, for the first thousand years, there was just one. What was interesting is... The first thousand years, there was just one. So, um, doesn't that sound great? Everybody could just get along. There were no divisions. <laughs> you, just, you just don't know nothing about church history. You can say that. I mean, wow, there, there, was, there was no Donatist controversy. There were not 700 Donatist churches in North Africa. Nope, they were not there. Mm, 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 mm. All those divisions you had over persecution in the early church and stuff like, no, nothing, there was nothing there. <laughs> Again, like I said, when, when John Paul II died, we, we got this massive revisionist history, these glowing, that just make, just sit there and you just go, all you got to do is go over to the shelf and read any volume of Shaft's history of the church. And, but you're not reading that stuff, are you? Or you're in some honeymoon phase of some kind of weird conversion experience or something. I don't know. Communion was at the center of the room every time they gathered. And it wasn't a pulpit where a guy preached. Yes, yes, there, there was. It was just not in the center. Um, 
after studying in his office by himself for 20 hours. Is there something wrong about... Now, when you say studying by yourself, that's probably meant to be me and my Bible alone under the trees. Uh, again, it just seemed... Forgive me, but I've, I've, I've spent too much time with people who swum the Tiber or the Bosporus. Um, I've heard it all before. I've seen the end result. The end result is always bad. Really, really, really bad. Okay? Um, and so I've heard this stuff before. And the idea is it's just, you know, you're reinventing the wheel. Hey, what a wonderful thing if there are men who really do take 20 hours to prepare a meaningful, researched, sound sermon. But if you're going to do that, you're not going to do that, quote-unquote, alone. You're going to be standing on the shoulders of giants. If you sit in your office, what are you going to be accessing? Well, I hope you're starting, unlike what some people say, I hope you're starting with meaningful, honest exegesis, but who are you depend upon when you do that? Well, there are lexicographers, and there are people who have done all this work to provide you with this tremendous insights into the original languages of the text and stuff like that. But you're eventually going to go to commentaries. You're eventually going to, going to avail yourself of the wisdom of those in the past. And in the process, you're going to discover that on almost any passage of Scripture you're looking at, there's going to be people who have taken different perspectives. And so you're going to have to be making decisions. There's something wrong with this? That It sounds to me like Francis Chan is saying there's something wrong with this. What are you supposed to do? Just simply reread John Chrysostom's sermons? They're worse, but he wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. So what are you supposed to do? What, you know, what, what is the idea here? I'm, hard to say. See, right now we've got guys like me that go in a room, study... You know, that, that's what I was doing for years. Meanwhile, other guys went in their rooms and studied, and then we started all giving different messages, so many contradicting each other. Now, this sounds to me, again, I know what he's reading, and what he should be saying is, we were so often influenced by things outside of just Scripture. Because you... Presuppositionally, what's, what's at the bottom of what's being said? That the study of Scripture will only lead to massive confusion. When the reality is, the more consistent your study of Scripture is, the closer the conclusions everybody comes to. The more you use external sources, the wider the areas of disagreement become. If this guy hasn't seen... Francis, you know, if someone points you to this, if you haven't seen, it, please, go talk to some Roman Catholic priests in southern Mexico. Some of the old-time priests in Spain. Go, go talk to my friend Peter J. Williams, um, with whom I debated indulgences in... Uh, uh, Ireland just year before last, or was it May? I think it was May of 17. Was it May of, May of 18? Yeah, May of 18, I think. Maybe it was May of 19? I don't know. Uh, can't keep track of these things. Go talk to Peter J. Williams. Then go to, well, most of the popes 
most trusted bishops and cardinals. Go to Boston College. Talk to the priests there. You will find a much wider variation of theology and worldviews between those men than you will find in any of the, and there aren't 30,000, but any of the 500 meaningful Protestant denominations that still believe in sola scriptura. There's the key. Because once you, once you abandon sola scriptura, then, pff, you know, then, you, then, you, then you're at Union Theological Seminary. But the fact is, professing sola scriptura results in a considerably more narrow range of interpretation and teaching than believing in the infallibility of their own magisterium. Because if you can't tell the difference between what Francis teaches and what any Pope 50 years ago taught, well, now 60 years ago taught, um, you're missing. You're missing it. It's, it's as obvious as the day is long. Um, but there, is, there was, in that statement, there was an underlying shot at scriptural sufficiency. And priests say, well, I follow Piper, I follow Chan, I follow... You know, it's just like everyone's following different guys. I'm just saying, I, I believe there was something about taking communion out of the center of the church and replace it with a gifted speaker. Not that that gifted speaker is not a part of the body of Christ and a gift to the body of Christ, but the body itself needs to be back in the center of the church. You guys, I've been dreaming about this. I've been praying about this. Oh, man, I would love it if one day in our country here in the U.S., people understood the body of Christ, that they were just a part of it, and they got excited to gather and partake of the body and blood of Christ. And they celebrated together, and that's why we gathered. Okay, of the- and that's, that's the end of it. That was, that, was, that was the clip. I'm sure there was more to that. Look, um, no matter how you respond to something like this, you end up having to focus upon the negatives. One of the really bad aspects of social media and our ability to communicate, and we're communicating that way right now, even though we tend to go a little bit longer. We don't, we're not so much sound clips. I mean, how long have I got? How long are we right now? Do you know? About an hour? Okay. Um, we, we tend to require you to have a little bit longer attention span. Um, but one of the negative things is that we tend to focus only upon the negative. The, the tendency of human nature is for us to loathe to recognize when someone that we want to disagree with says something that's true. The result is we end up disagreeing with things we shouldn't be disagreeing with in the first place. Is it true that there has been a diminishment in the position of the Lord's Supper in many Protestant churches? It is. Is it true that many Protestant churches have superstars 
as the preacher. And the person becomes more important than the message. Yep. I think a lot of that is just cultural. I don't know if that's purpose. For some people, it's very purposeful. For, for false teachers and people making money off of all this just because they, they want to be, you know, the, the, for the Kenneth Copelands of the, of the world, um, remember when that, that two years ago when that reporter caught him in his vehicle and the demon sne- snuck out for a second? You know, it was like, ooh, wow. Uh, it was scary. Um, but <laughs> those folks, okay, I get it. I, I, I understand but, um, so is it true that there is a danger of losing biblical balance with superstar culture? No, one, no one's going to argue that one either. Um, is it true that there seems to be far more desire to divide than to unite? Yep. Why, where does that come from? Partly simply because there are just a lot of people who don't even understand grace. They call themselves Christians. But on the proper side of things, we live in a day of so much, not, not so much more error than ever in the past, but because of the availability of communication, so much more knowledge of how many errors there are and people promoting those errors, that as a result, we have to be extremely focused upon um, discerning what is error and see, and, and then finding that line, it's one thing to say, I think that this person over here is in error on the subject of baptism such that I could not be a part of the same church, does not then mean, and therefore I have to send that person to hell. There's where the problem lies. And so there are numerous things where you could go, in a particular context, yeah, that's true. But there are fundamental issues that cannot be compromised. We have to have a clear understanding of what those are. And we can't just automatically assume. And this is what a lot of this is what a lot of Francis Chan's former classmates would, I think, assume. And that is, if you're willing to compromise there, then I'm going to suspect that you've gone on this and that and the other thing, and you, 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 you're, you're already gone. So I'm just going to separate from you immediately. If Francis Chan is received into the Eastern Orthodox Church or the Roman Catholic Church, I will, uh, I will mourn yet another person who has shown that they never fully understood what it meant to rest in the imputed righteousness of Christ, because both of those communions do not rest in the imputed righteousness of Christ, they deny the imputed righteousness of Christ. I will, let me just say, there are strands of Eastern Orthodoxy that would allow for it. It'd be unusual, I'm just saying, but the the fact is, the imputed righteousness of Christ is a doctrine defined in Western thinking. And this is why I say dealing with orthodoxy is just so difficult, because they don't think in that way, and therefore things can happen that you don't expect to happen. Anyway, if he makes that move, then you treat him as an individual who once made profession of faith X and now is saying not X. But till then, there is no reason to, there is much reason 
to question where Francis Chan is going and his wisdom, but there's also still reason to pray for him and not to do the, you've already, you're already gone. Pray for him, exhort him, correct his errors, direct him to sound information, um, warn him, it looks, this is, this looks like where you're going. And that's a bad place to end up. And that's going to separate you from the gospel. So false prophet's going to get his due from God, his wrath from God on judgment day. But then the people that follow such a person mm. are going to end up the same way. Yeah. Now we're virtually out of time now. So I'd like you to make any final comments since of time limits uh, about what you have to say about Francis Chan in, in this matter. Well, I don't like the idea of Francis Chan at all based upon how he treated Mike Gendron. Mm -hmm. I think that is deplorable. If he didn't want him as a speaker, he should have researched Mike. Mike has videos up on YouTube. Mike has a fine website where all it takes is a cursory review of his website. You know exactly what he's going to say. Yes. So it's a little bit disingenuous, but I'm picking up on something you said, that this fella is more concerned with the faces of clay than the truth of God. Yes. Which seems to me the start of the downfall of many a man. Exactly. If you're worried about what people think of you, and if you're trying to build a reputation and you want more followers, then if you're not strongly wedded to the Word of God, you're going to fail the Word of God. You're sure. going to absolutely be swayed more by the people than you will be by the Word of God, and you won't have enough internal fortitude. You will not have enough perseverance to persevere through the... Um, people who will dislike what you say when you speak the truth. So without knowing more about him, it sounds like he's weak and he's looking for prominency. Mm -hmm. And I have had exposure to this sort of thing in my life before too. I was with the Luis Palau crusade when he first came out mm -hmm. as an international uh, evangelist. Yes, Many said that he would be the Billy Graham of South America. Mm -hmm. In talking with Luis Palau, after a conference in Newcastle, Australia, I was very concerned that he and his team had planted people in the audience to stand up at a certain point in his message and begin to walk forward. I said, why did you do that? And he said, well, that's called psychological persuasion. It's much easier for people to stand up and come forward if somebody else is doing it and I don't see anything wrong with that. And I said, well, actually I see a lot wrong with that. Because if a person stands up because he sees somebody else walking forward, that means he's not moved by the Spirit of God. That's right. He's That's moved right. by following the crowd. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, when they all came down in front, Luis was convinced by the fact of their gathering in front of him that they were, in fact, true Christians. And he welcomed them to the kingdom of God. And then the third thing that he did was just deplorable to me, I didn't last long with him, was he sent them back to the church that they were involved in. So if it was a Roman Catholic church. So if it was a right Roman back. Catholic church, That's what Billy right Graham did. The, yeah, Roman Catholic. He even worked with the Pope so, and the rest of them that way. But how are you going to build a huge crowd unless you compromise somewhere? In today's atmosphere, I'm telling you, you will have very little audience if you speak the truth. That's right. You're not, you don't have to be abrasive, you don't have to be cruel, you don't have to Pound your fist and be a a, a Bible thumping 
<laughs> maniac up there who's screaming. Uh, all you have to do is just quietly, forcefully, cogently, intelligently speak the truth of the gospel. And I can pretty much guarantee you that you'll find resistance. Quite a bit of it, as a matter of fact. Yeah. And that's why we have the uh, burgeoning uh, millennial megachurches. It's based on emotions instead of scriptural truth and the power of the Holy Spirit yeah. to bring people. Right. See, we don't worry about whether people like us or not or whatever. We're just trying to present the truth of the Word of God. Exactly. And we depend on the Holy Spirit right. to deal with people. We don't have to manipulate them like Charles Finney and all his crazy stuff that he did to try to get crowds. Uh, we got a video on him, by the way, if anyone wants to check that out. seems like these days i got a video on almost everything. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead. One of the reformers said, Lord, make me stubborn when I'm right. Because he knew it was coming. And uh, I... I there are there are, there are buildings housing people when they come in. Ostensibly, it's an evangelical meeting of some sort, I guess, because the, yeah. the names of the churches you don't know what they are. Because we got Elevation Church, we've got yeah, yeah. Uh, Highest Desire Church, we've got uh, all these churches with strange names, you know, like uh, Final Hope Church and yeah. all this. And you don't know where they're coming from, but essentially. Beware if they hand you earphones to block the sound when you come in because some of the decibel levels higher than a jet airplane inside these places oh, wow. with the rock bands. Wow. And wow. they warn you walking oh, is that in. Right? Yeah. This uh, could be dangerous to your ears. Would you like ear muffs to put on to help block the sound? I think that's the first indication that you should get back into the parking lot and maybe look for a church that that's centered the upon the Word of God. Yeah. yeah, they should hand out, instead of earphones, they should hand out tracks to say, warning, this 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 place is not biblical, it's, uh, it's not sola scriptura, it's ecumenical, uh, but of course they're not going to do that. No, they're not going to do that. Uh, so. They're just looking for numbers and uh, I, I'm donations. Just, I'm just hearing so many bad reports about the millennials. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll just share with you one. I know we're out of time now, but... Uh, uh, I attended um, a strong evangelical church, I won't name it, but the pastor teacher gave a message, and in the middle of the message, uh, he, he put up a uh, citation uh, quote from Barney Apoll. Mm-hmm. And the quote went something to the effect that uh, 40% of millennial evangelicals believe it's wrong to evangelize people of another faith. And he let it go. He didn't comment on it. He didn't say anything about it. I think I mentioned this to you last time. He didn't have a word about that poll, Mm -hmm. about that percentage. Mm -hmm. He just used it as an example of how Christians need to get back on track. you know, just think a hundred years ago, if somebody had put that poll up, everybody in the audience would have said, "Well, they're not Christians." That's right. That's of course, right. they're not. Maybe fifty years ago, people would have said, "Well, they may call themselves Christians, but they're not Christians." Right. How on earth can a Christian believe that it's wrong to evangelize right. a person of another faith? How can that be a Christian? What does he believe? That's right. Because Jesus Christ is a way, a truth, and a life. Right. And no one will go to the Father without somebody sort of like Jesus. 
That, that have to change the whole Bible. That's right. That's right. Because it's everywhere. You preach to the yeah. whole world and preach the gospel. And it sounds like this guy is well on his way from what you Oh, read. yeah. He's trying to become a, it looks like another Benny Hinn or Mike Bickle or right. all these heretics we covered in our uh, blasphemous Pentecostal and charismatic uh, series that I've already advertised in this video. So I guess what we're saying is just beware of this man. Uh, we'll have some more on some of the other heretics, but these are the guys making the big money uh, because they talk to the world. They want their man pleasers. They want to just get people rubbed the right way. But if they find anyone that's telling the truth, like your friend Mike Gendron, mm -hmm. uh, who's also done a video for us, by the way, if you want to check that out, it's a great video. Uh, but He's telling the truth, and they throw him out. Right. But if you're lying and you're a heretic, well, then you're all right. I'm going to suggest that at some point you have a video, all right? Yeah. And the video is based upon the Apostle Paul's reaction to false teachers and what he has to say about them. Because sometimes, you know, people look at us and they say, Good night. Could you soften your approach a little bit? Could right. you? Mix it with a little bit more loving attitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and then you realize the stakes are so high if you're not direct, to the point, That's right. even blunt sometimes, they don't get it. Yep. And the Apostle Paul was direct, to the point, and he was it, blunt. It, it's interesting you said that because, you know, I... I have seven, right at the moment we're videotaping this. I've got over 750 posted videos to the public mm -hmm. on our YouTube channel, See Answers TV. And I'm the guy that has to answer all those comments that right. come in on all these videos. And I have had so many comments over the years that are just like you mentioned. Right. Can't you tone it down? Can't you do all this? And I've already got a pat answer I created years ago. Yeah. That has all the scripture references with Paul and Jesus, right. particularly Jesus in Matthew twenty-three. Right, you know oh, what I'm talking about. You don't have the Lord Himself. Yeah. I mean, He no no holes barred. He lets them. They're have not it. pulling any punches. That's right. Right, and, square between the eyes. And I've got that. And every time I get one of those comments, I'm ready to go. I, I pull it off my computer memory, stick it in there, copy and paste. Bang, and then they're getting the words of Jesus, Paul, and the yeah, rest of them right. from those Old Testament fiery prophets and uh, put it right in there to show them whatever they're believing it isn't coming from this Bible I'm, I'm reading. Right. Uh, there, and, was a, there was an old evangelist who went out to California. He was invited by a group of churches to preach the gospel. He spent the first three nights preaching the law of God. All right. Finally, everybody's getting a little bit worried about this guy. Mm -hmm. So a committee came to him and said, we invited you out here to preach the gospel mm -hmm. and his response was when I came out here I thought maybe there are not enough people saved maybe that's why they invited me out here mm -hmm. but as soon as I got here I realized that's not the problem the problem is nobody's lost would you just please let me get them lost first <laughs> and then we'll see if God would save a few and to and then a woman came up to him and said you know you can attract a few more bees if you use a little bit more honey yeah and he looked at her and he said ma'am i'm not trying to attract bees i'm trying to kill men mm -hmm. i'm trying to kill men i never forget that i'm yeah. trying what he meant i'm killing them with the truth they That's need right. to die they need they to need, die they need to see they need to see the, the danger the, truth, the danger, the danger right. of the right. from the wrath of god because right. they're at ease in, in zion yeah. thinking you're okay yeah when you're not okay at all no and, and this guy is not going to tell them the truth. That's right. Francis Chan, false prophet. Stay away from him. Yeah. All right, with that, brother, thanks again for being with us. My pleasure. I always love it here. I love it when you're here. So thank you.
folks out there for watching this. I'm Larry Wessels with Christian Answers, uh, Austin, Texas, Christian Debater. Join us again for another program of Christian Answers Presents. And remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And that's in John chapter 14, verse 6. And that in itself is an exclusive statement that can cause a lot of trouble among people. Because when you're ecumenical and you want to be nice and a man pleaser to everybody, Jesus was not that way. That's one reason why he was crucified. He wasn't pleasing everybody. He wasn't pleasing the world. He was just telling people the truth and they got mad and mad enough to kill him. And a lot of the apostles and prophets also. So stick to the word of God. Stick to the real Jesus of the Bible and you'll be pleasing God rather than man. Well, thank you again for being with us. God bless you all. If you like our YouTube channel, please subscribe by clicking on the subscribe button and then by also clicking the bell above to get an automatic update whenever we produce another YouTube video for our See Answers TV channel. Please share our videos with your friends and relatives. May God bless you. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. See related videos by tapping or clicking screens.